0: This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman, Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email podcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles podcast. Here's your host, Chuck
1: Simon. Hey
2: everyone, welcome to Going in Circles live. It's Tuesday, December 8th. The uh, official wintertime season has set in it, in South Florida, as I wore a jacket today. And uh, it was cold. And I know all the people who live up north are laughing, but you know what? Ah, it's going to be warm by the end of the week. So when you're freezing, we'll be warm. But it was cold today. the uh, The championship meet kicked off last week down here at Gulfstream had a good card on on Saturday claiming crown was a competitive crowd uh excuse me competitive fields uh, no no real crowd to speak of because of the covid situation but uh louis kind of uh dominated on the jockey end and handle was uh, another record they've They've done better and better with that event since it came to Gulfstream. Before, it was a, a South Florida fixture. Um, I think the record handle for the claiming crown was, was in the sixes, six-point-something million, and uh, they're up to 14 million. Um, of course, there was two races um, that weren't claiming crown races, uh, two-year-old maidens on the turf, which which were good races as well. Not that I cashed in on any of them. But, um, uh, the championship meet seems to be off to a, a an interesting start. The, the biggest news probably is the debut of, <laughs> it's kind of a, it's funny to say it, but uh, the debut of post times that actually are post times as the post drag era ha- has ended at least temporarily and Gulfstream is now running races, uh, within a few minutes depending on how the horses load of the actual post time which is uh it's it's a it's a relief I guess from the 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 constant barrage of jokes regarding the post time at Gulfstream but um I I think it, it is a little annoying at some point I mean I talked about it with Barry on our podcast last night and He's of the opinion it's not that big of a deal to him, and and I'm I'm not that different uh, in my feelings about it either. It's a little bit annoying sometimes when you're 11 minutes over, and um, but consistency is the key. And I think if racetracks understood that, what we really want is just not to run the races over the top of each other, uh, especially the major signals. Just just. just couple minutes apart. That's all we're asking for. Um, but uh, the full the, the winter season is in full swing here. Um, New York had their final uh, greatest stakes hurrah of, of the year. Uh, the Cigar Mile, which was won by the, uh, the Ignat, Ignatic. I don't think I'm saying the word right. But um, a horse that runs second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth a lot. True Timber. Who, at one point, uh, my partners, Ryan Schwartzky and Roger Satina and I owned uh, a half-sister to True Timber. And we used to literally beg, beg, beg him to win a stake. Um, and he, he just kept running second and third and fourth. And uh, I think he broke a 17, 17 uh consecutive stake starts without a win winning the cigar mile over a depleted field because of the the mud it, it, they had a lot of rain in new york this weekend and frisian uh, fire and uh mind control where the, the chief scratches out of the race two horses just simply don't handle mud they came out uh there was another horse who wasn't really a big factor that, that also came out but uh it wasn't exactly a stirring rendition it wasn't exactly a great grade one race but True Chamber is a winner of a grade one race for Calumet Farm and, um, Jack Sisterson, who's a, who's a good guy. Who's, uh, who's shown he's willing to run his horses. And I know he gets encouraged by the owner that they, they like to run. They like to run in big, big spots. They like to run in important races. And, uh, sometimes they're, they're wildly overmatched, but sometimes they, they win. And I think that's, that's one of the the funny things. Someone had po- I think Fran LaBelle had posted a article this week on Twitter, not Twitter, uh, Facebook, about um, Murray Garen. Uh, Murray Guerin is a, a um, an owner turned trainer who used to race in New York in the eighties uh, and nineties. And Murray Guerin was um, to say he he was not afraid. To- of the entry box was the to, putting it mildly and Murray used to run two or three times a month, every horse, Jackson's port. And, and there was so many, uh, four bases. Um, you know, those old, uh, hard knocking horses that used to run 20 times a year. Um, just kind of, uh, kind of crazy in areas where, um, horses just don't, just don't race that much. But, um, just to, I'm not even sure why Franny put that uh, that link up. But uh, it was kind of funny, I thought. Uh, and fitting with, with a horse um, like True Timber, who dances literally every dance. Even though he's like that guy that's out on the dance floor dancing by himself. Because none of the girls will dance with him. True Timber's got that great one win. So at some point, he will be dancing with the ladies. Uh, they also ran a couple... Two-year-old mile and an eighth races in New York um, this past weekend. Uh, the the Brooklyn Strong, who, who's a New York bred of, of Danny Velasquez, is, is really kind of proven that he's he's more than just a, a, a flesh in the pan New York bred uh, who, who's you know shipped up from Delaware and got lucky. He he won the um, the the Remsen Fair and Square. Uh, they, they ran a a, a good time um beating um uh, a favorite of shug mcgahee's who who um was a legit favorite a, a good horse uh i don't know it was a 10 point derby derby race uh kentucky derby point system which isn't much but it's something and and i, I don't know it's it's to me it's just too far out to really um get a good feel on, on the derby trail yet i, I think that uh it's 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 a kind of a wide open group of two-year-olds so far and, and there haven't been a lot of them that ran a whole lot so um we'll see what what shakes out with that um a filly that kind of uh had brought some consternation about her performances a few months back a Philly of Bob Baffert's it was a 1.3 million dollar two-year-old in training That had broke her maiden and and, uh, had won a few races in California very stylishly, yet very uh, pokey, very slow. The races were not highly regarded. And there was some controversy about, hey, maybe she's a lot better than she looks. She's winning easily. She could run a lot faster. And she ran in the Breeders' Cup. And albeit from an outside post, kind of got exposed. And she didn't really run that well. Uh, finished mid pack and came back and was entered in, um, in a race, uh, grade one starlet at, uh, Los Alamitos this weekend and, uh kind of somewhat bolted at the top of the stretch and it was found that, uh, she has a, a career ending injury, a bow tendon. And I guess it's kind of, uh. Uh, I saw a poll where it was asked, would you describe her as brilliant? And I, of course, would say no. I I don't think she was brilliant. Um, I think that she was a a quality horse, a good filly, a a talented horse. But uh, speed figures matter. They do matter. And the consistently faster horses win more. And that's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Uh but uh unfortunately the Princess Noor era has uh has ended. It was short and it was brief and it wasn't um exactly something that uh people are probably gonna look back years from now and say, Oh wow, I remember that Philly, but uh but that kind of wraps up uh, the two year old um derby prep kind of season for for the year um there's uh there's really not much left for for those horses i think most everything starts uh again in january Santa anita opens back up uh at the end of december gulfstream is again is in full flight now but uh most of their or all of their ter- triple crown prep type races uh tampa bay as well everything is uh is after the first of the year so I, I I don't really um I don't have a great feel for the uh the, the two-year-olds this year uh, who's good who's bad. Um Jackie's Warrior was a uh you know a dominant horse in New York. However, the two turns, the the tactics that were used against him that he fell victim to um certainly leaves a lot of question marks. Um, the winner the breeders cup winner um juvenile winner is is a nice horse he certainly is has, has uh, answered every every uh, question so far but he also got a perfect trip on a track that that seemed to be to his liking so there's a lot of questions and uh that's a good thing it, it's uh it's a wide open year as as, uh, as they seem to be more more uh, with people putting off debuts till later in the year and these horses being even more lightly raced uh, as we turn the page on, on to their three-year-old year it does make it a, a little bit more of a crapshoot than, than it used to be in, in the past when uh, your two-year-old champion might have five or six races might have, might have four or five wins but those days have passed we have a couple guests today um, one thing I wanted to do with this show was uh, I really have no interest in talking to Todd Pletcher, Chad Brown, or or Elliot Walden, or um, any of those type people on this show, because, not that I, I don't like them, but they have plenty of exposure in other places. Uh, they talk to the media all the time. They're not going to give us anything here that we probably haven't even already heard, and, and that's no no knock against them. It's just that I really wanted to try to get people on the show that uh, might have an interesting story, might come with with an interesting background to, um kind of maybe people that you you don't even know but you've seen their work. And uh our first guest is uh going to be the noted equine photographer um Skip Dickstein, who's uh from upstate New York where where I'm from and um, he's been uh been shooting races for a long time and, and I'm, I guarantee you, if you followed racing for more than 15 minutes, you've seen his work. Uh, so we're going to have him on and, uh, talk about how he got into racing, his career, uh, things he's seen, um, developments in, in his business. And, um, at four o'clock we're going to have on a guy who's risen from, um, what would be the word uh not nowhere but uh he's kind of taken racing twitter by storm and that's uh that's the uh the legendary now the now recently legendary swift hitter and he's uh going to join us i met him at at pompano the other day with a few of the fellas uh (laughs) and uh he's a funny guy. He's an interesting guy and, and he's got a lot of interesting takes and he's certainly not willing to, uh, uh, or I shouldn't say not willing. He's certainly willing to, uh, to, to say what he feels and, and talk about uh, various subjects and stir some stir the pot, but uh, we'll have him on it for, and, um, kind of talk to him about, uh, how he got started and, and interested in racing and, um, uh, why he decided to become uh, the, the, uh, the instigator of, of many feuds, which fuel the, uh, the murky world of race and Twitter. But um, we have uh, our first guest uh, joining us today from uh, the Arctic North, Skip Dickstein. Skip, how are you?
0: I'm very well, Charlie. How are you?
2: Well, I can't complain. I can't complain at all. Things are uh are, are are going well down here in Florida. We're in the 50s. We're probably nudged up into the 60s and uh I know I know the Saratoga people kind of laugh at that, but
0: uh Yeah, that's like a heat wave, this time of year. Yeah, we we
2: got no rain. Hurricane season's over. We don't have that those bullets to dodge anymore. We don't have to see the people on the news, you know, with the frantic updates that rarely amount to anything. So uh, now now we get told uh, if you're you're bringing your kids to the bus stop that uh you know bundle them up because it's going to be in the low 50s. Bundle them up. Good Mittens.
0: 50 50 degrees? My goodness. That's <laughs> Lovely weather this time of year up here. In fact, uh, it's going to be warm like that tomorrow or um, on th- Thursday and Friday. You know, li- we had little little snow this morning.
2: Life is all about context. You know what I mean? It's it's all about context. <laughs> <laughs> Some one man's fifty is a, is, a, is an ice locker. Another man's 50 is t t-shirt weather. But uh, Skip, you have been I've um, been doing this for for a while. Uh, you're a, a, a photographer by trade. Uh, is that, I mean, let, let's, let's well, explain how, how did you get into photography and, and, and how did you wind up at the racetrack?
0: Well, um, putting things pretty much in a very simple manner. I, uh, I grew up in a family of photographers. My father was a studio, uh, wedding and commercial photographer. And my mother would assist him wasn't when she wasn't singing in operas and things of that nature and, um, you know, I got kind of the bug then. Um, I went in the dark room with my dad, and he taught me some of the things to do. And, um, and also, my dad was a polo player. So one thing led to another, and I turned uh, 13 years old, and my dad took me out to the, to the stable where the polo ponies were, and it was also a show stable um, just outside of Albany. And uh, we walked in the barn, and uh, uh, the uh, the farm manager was there at the time, and he says, uh, "Can we help you?" And of course, they knew my father because he played polo there. And my dad says, "You got anything for him to do?" And the farm manager hands me a pitchfork, and I started on the ground and worked up from there.
2: Well. Most success stories start like that. They they you, you work from the ground and, and and work your way up.
0: Literally work from the ground. Literally. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I hear I, I saw something on Facebook yesterday and it was showing um it was kind of poking fun at, at gyms and it, it was giving the 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 caloric uh burning um, count of of different uh equine activities. <laughs> cleaning a stall. And,
0: it was like right at the top of a list.
2: Uh, cleaning a stall was 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 one of the higher ones, uh, you know, galloping a horse, which is something that like, you know, guys like you and I don't really do often. No. But no. uh yeah, they they it was uh it was kind of uh it was kind of funny to, to think uh you know, you, you could burn a whole lot more calories working in a barn than than you could uh riding the stationary bike at the uh, at the YMCA. <laughs> yeah.
0: Either that or walking hots. One or the other. Oh my god!
2: Walking hots. You're going to get your steps in. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, what we did, what I did from from mucking stalls, I went. I ultimately became an assistant trainer for a hunter jumper stable up in, in the area, and um, that got the horse part. Then I could identify what you know, basically what a horse looks like. And then, uh, of course, I had the bug for the photography through my mom and dad. And, uh, ultimately, um, they cut me loose. I got my first professional camera after I painted a three story, um, three story, uh, staircase in my parents' apartment house where we live. And, uh, and from there, um, I went to college down in, in Texas, in Beaumont, Texas, but I assisted uh, the guys from UPI um, covering major events down there as a photojournalist. And, of course, having that professional camera got my start with, with UPI. And uh, one thing led to another, and I uh, graduated from college after being the college uh, the photographer for the school paper. Where I went, Lamar University, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I—the uh, first major uh, Grade One stake I ever covered was at Saratoga, and that was Secretary at losing the Onion in the Whitney.
2: Wow! Well, and of that, course, that, the rest that, of it—that's uh, a hell of a way to break in.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you think? I remember watching the crowds, the people—they would put boards down at Saratoga, and people would walk into the infield to right. watch the races.
2: No, that and that, that I, I remember that when I was a kid, when they would put the the boards up on the over the turf course, and and we we'd walk in, then they had the they had some windows like behind the the tote board, and
1: yep, um, yep. In fact, yeah. I think so.
0: I, if I'm not incorrect, some of those structures actually still exist over there. Really? Yeah. Um, if not, they're they're like shells or whatever. They use them for storage now. But I think some of those those old buildings are there's there's some that i think are still there over by the lake really manfield wow. lake yeah
2: well next time I'm in saratoga i'm gonna climb, i'm gonna go investigate that uh to see uh to see what's what's still standing and this, i can't remember i mean it, i was i wasn't that old when when we did it and i remember that i don't remember i don't remember the reason why they stopped doing it but um maybe they expanded wow. the backside oh, no. further I, I you know the backside of the the by the paddock not not the backside where the horses are but the right the, the you know yeah. the, the yard in the back because i know that's had a few transformations over the years i remember when i was a little kid we, we used to sit in the dirt right outside the paddock and there was like was like oh, one yeah no fence the horses would be be getting saddled around right a there. tree and
0: sure
2: <laughs> i mean it sounds so- it sounds crazy now to, to think that uh um you know the horses would be just out in the open like that but uh
0: well but that yeah. was that when, was when different... I first started covering racing we used to just walk over in that area the the horses would walk around the trees. There would be no fence there. And um man, I'll tell you, you do that now, God forbid somebody should get like like stepped on and like the end of the world is coming.
2: Oh yeah, no no doubt. So
0: um but it's it's a different it's a whole different world now, really. Pretty much everything covering racing is different and and that that's that's changing as the as this virus stuff is that's made it uh really interesting
2: so to me um it's funny photographers they they almost uh at the when you're at the races they almost blend in with the background i mean we don't see you guys where you're at, like you're you're there, right by the the finish line, or, or wherever you're taking your, your your pictures. Like, I guess we're so used to seeing you guys that we don't even hardly notice you. And then we look at the pictures, and some sometimes I look at your pictures and and uh, and, and other photographers, and I'm thinking, man, how did they get that shot? Like, where were they to get that particular shot? And and uh, um. Describe kind of, uh, like, your day at the races, like, all right, uh, Travers Day, for instance, in Saratoga. Like, like, where do you, do you have assistants? Do you have people that work with oh, you? yeah. Do you, have, do you set up cameras at, like, remote locations or things like that?
0: Sure. Well, specifically on, on Traverse Day or any of the major Saturday stakes in Saratoga, we can stick to Saratoga um, for the time being. And um, But I have an assistant, Tim Lanahan. He, uh, he, without his help, I probably could not do remotes because I'm getting to the point now where getting down underneath the rail is, is, is tough for me. You know, I'm no youngster anymore, but, you know, I still, I still do what I have to do to make sure that uh, the images are correctly focused and the exposures are done and, and things of that nature and Tim makes sure the placement of the camera is where I want it. And uh, we discuss it. We'll have a little game plan before we go into the track. We know exactly what we want to do. We know exactly the amount of equipment that I have um, for majors, uh, for major races like Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup. Um, in the past, we've been able to get uh, uh, Nikon Professional Services to, to uh, allow us to use their uh, loaner equipment to, to supplement what I've got. And I've had to buy a lot of equipment because of getting, you know, getting equipment um, it has been tough. Uh, because of the coronavirus, because of security, because of any number of things, um, we don't have the availability of, of the loaner, as much of loaner equipment as we used to. I would run, in the past, I would run seven or eight cameras on remotes. Outstanding of the stuff that I shot. And, of course, Tim would, Tim would have to maintain that all day long. And, uh, as other people would put in their gear, he'd have to make sure that nobody was blocking us or whatever. And, uh, we'd go in, uh, the minute the track closes the training, we would put our gear in cover, uh, make sure it's, uh, properly, uh, positioned. Uh, I would check everything. Then Tim would, Tim would maintain it. And again, without Tim, this whole process doesn't work. And, um, uh, we would, uh, and he would maintain the equipment, making sure that everything is, is prop, properly uh, covered. Uh, because they water the track. You know, when it's the a dry day, they do water the track in between every race. So that means the cameras have to be covered to mm-hmm. make sure that they don't get wet. And um, if I have the availability of extra manpower, I'll put somebody at the top of the stretch, somebody at the, uh, the, uh, in the clubhouse turn. Um, or any number of other locations. Again, it all depends on how much equipment I have available to me. I, you know, there's a finite amount, and uh, we, we fill all those gaps. With the COVID virus, it threw a major curve at us. We couldn't, and we're not allowed to, put bring the extra help in to do these things. It was just Tim and I. Or in the case of the Derby, it was myself and Ann Everhart, who's the director of, uh, of imaging for the Blood Horse. Um, it was just the two of us, but we teamed up with the Herald Leader down there in Lex- in, uh, in in Louisville. The Herald Leader's is from uh, Lexington, but we they came up and they were doing the Derby, so we uh, and set up a, a a a mutual agreement, so they had apps. Uh, You know, access to my gear or my equipment, or excuse me, my images, and we had access to their images. Worked out perfectly. I wish Tim was at the Derby. That's the only major he missed this year. Tim and I, um, we were only allowed to have two people from the Blood Horse at uh, Belmont, which obviously was the first of the Triple Crown races this year because of the COVID virus. There was there was hardly any any photographers there. That they had to restrict it because the state racing commission demanded that. Um, so they restricted the, our access as photographers to the to the track. And there were certain places we couldn't walk. We could and we had to space each of each of us for uh, social distancing. But if you ever wanted to cover a race. That was like walking into Twilight Zone. Any of the Triple Crown races uh, this year were, were very much like that. You could, you could stand there, and you're making images of the horses on the dirt track at Belmont, and all you heard was the cracking of whips and, and, uh, and the pounding of feet in the, in the uh, dirt. There was no crowd there. Yeah, And it was the most amazing thing I've, I've ever done. Because, uh, it's I, just, I, I
2: was at Gulfstream and Calder a couple times, and it, it's just weird. It's just it's just strange. Oh, it's
0: crazy. It is absolutely crazy. I, we uh, Tim and I, uh, I went down to the Derby this year, and of course Tim was not allowed to go because we didn't have enough man. You know, they didn't allow us the extra manpower. So I was pretty much on my own, which is fine. Um, obviously his help was missed greatly. But uh, I worked with the guys from the Herald-Leader. We put in uh, a couple extra remotes for me. And um, as you walked from the press area, from the parlay building, out to the racetrack, down the chute, out to the racetrack, it's like there was nobody, nobody to bump into. No drunks pouring beer on you. Nobody, you know, smoking cigarettes and filling your lungs full of disgusting smoke. It was nobody. Nobody there. And it was really bizarre, because I've covered probably, I don't know, maybe 30, 35 derbies. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced an empty racetrack to do it. And, and you know, they say if you stop learning in this business, you know, you need to get out. Well, <laughs> I learned a lot that day about how much I, I, I appreciated a not having the crowd to have to fight through, but also how to understand what this virus has done to the industry. And it was like, wow, definitely twilight zone.
2: Yeah, we were talking about it on my, my um my podcast last night about racing. Uh, you know, it's kind of a sad statement that, unlike other sports, which are really hurt. Financially, by um, a lack of of fans, you know, they're hurt without the gate revenue, without the concession revenue, without all the the, the ancillary money they make besides TV revenue and horse racing. Of course, we don't have t- much TV revenue, but racing has gotten to be, um you know, com- we contest most of our cards in front of rather meager crowds outside of Saratoga, Keeneland, Del Mar, um, weekends at Gulfstream, uh, you know, big days at certain places, Triple Crown events, Breeders' Cup events. Um, But most, most tracks don't really have a, a a significant number of people that, that are physically coming to the races. And most of the handle around 90% of it is now bet off track. And, you know, that made us, kind of suited to be able to um to weather the storm a little better. Uh there they were talking about the NBA makes uh forty percent of their revenues from um the live, you know have, having attendance at the games and all the other um, you know, revenue sources that they get from that parking uh you know, like I said, food and beverage, uh, the sweets that they they sell. I mean, they sell those sweets, or they make a ton of money on those things. And like we we didn't, we don't lose forty percent of our revenue because of of that. Uh, maybe Saratoga took a pretty um, you know decent size hit.
0: But well, um, if you if you looked at the all sources handle at Saratoga, it was off the scale.
2: Yeah, it, it was still good. I mean, people are people have gotten used to betting i 'm um, not not actually being there, and like you said it 's a different type of, of feel when you 're at the track it 's just weird it 's so quiet that that 's the thing that really strikes me is that you hear things that you wouldn 't normally hear and um, it 's just a, a kind of an eerie feeling when there's when there 's no one there and
0: you know if, if people had the opportunity and this is this is just me talking if people had the opportunity to hear what goes on with the jocks Break the gate and go into that first turn at Saratoga. The way we could hear it, uh, without the crowds, (laughs) it would be they would understand what an extraordinary amount of work it must take to be a jockey, because this sport is tough, and to and to and to crouch for you know a minute and a half, two minutes around that track in close contact. And as, as much as people say it's not a contact sport, I mean, you should hear these guys yelling at each other. It's, it's, and you can clearly hear it because there's nobody at the track. I'm not saying that I'd like that. It, I'm, you know, I'm a traditionalist. I want to see people at the track. I want to see, you know, the fans back. And I think that's going to be really I, – I hope we get fans back uh, in 21 who knows, we'll just have to deal with whatever they, whatever happens with whoever calls the shots.
2: That's true. You know, if you think back, like when you first started covering racing and, and I first started going to the track, there was a, there was a, a, well, they used
0: to have horses, horses and carriages take us to the track. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, That's not that far from the truth, but there was, there was always that's a true. buzz, you know, when you got, you got into the grandstand, there was always kind of an energy and, 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 uh, and and that's missing a lot of days.
1: Well a I lot can, of I... places
2: these days. When when you go to the races and it's kind of a, a sparse crowd and um it's not quite the event that it used to be. And and, and it's funny because we have a lot less racing than, than there used to be. It's it's oh, yeah. it's ironic that people think we have more because they have so much more access to f- other places. I mean, when you looked at uh racing prior to 20 years ago or 25 years ago, you went to your track and that was what you had. You had the nine or 10 races that they ran and, and that was it. There was no simulcasting. You didn't watch other tracks. You didn't see other jurisdictions. You just kind of paid attention to the only, um, you know, the the track that was right in front of you. The Those those nine or 10 races, that was it. And it, it's, it's kind of uh, gotten to the difference. And I've heard people say, well, racing hasn't really, you know, Evolved, and I'm thinking to myself, I can walk down mm. the street at four o'clock in the morning and, and on my cell phone bet a race and watch a race from Hong Kong. So of course, <laughs> back I mean, in, you know 1995, I I could be at at Belmont Park and I couldn't bet a race from Monmouth. So it's it, it's definitely changed it, the, the actual running of the horses, you know, starting from a gate uh, and going in a circle with with little people on their backs that that hasn't changed and that that's not going to change no. there's not much we can no. do to to really change that but when you look at baseball baseball is really not that much different than it was in the 50s so you got a you got a pitcher and you got a catcher and you got 90 feet between bases and and you know they're throwing the ball and you're hitting and you've three outs and it's it's not all that different there are some sports like football which is, has really changed i mean football when i was uh, growing up to now is I mean that you know they throw 50 60 times a game like nothing but but our our sport is is the same on the track we, the horses certainly run a lot uh, a lot less than they used to which is which is unfortunate and, and it's it's a uh, every few months on Twitter on Facebook this kind of debate pops up again and uh, at the crux of the issue is that there's so many different factors that there's not one thing that was done or could be done to fix it or, or that caused it there's so many different things that that uh, you know the world changes and the world evolves but uh but but like from your vantage point skip you you see races differently I- than most almost everyone you're, you're looking at them you're watching them from a, a point of view that um the people just you know, almost no one outside of other photographers actually get to see, including people like me. I mean, I, I've been going to the races since I was a little kid, and and I've worked on backsides of 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 all kinds of racetracks, and I've trained, and I've owned, and I've been, been a breeder, and I've worked in on and racetrack manager. I've done a lot of different things, but I've never sat at the finish line on on the inside rail and 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 took pictures or or, or wherever it is that you you station yourself. So. Tell us a little bit about about looking at, and, and seeing things in, in that unique, um, you know, the, the, unique, the unique view that you get.
0: Well, I can honestly say I got the best seat in the house. No doubt about it. I, you know, I shoot from the outside rail for about ninety percent of the time. I shoot from the outside rail, um, looking on a three quarter view of the finish. In other words, I'm looking at the horse's shoulder for the most part when I shoot my racing and uh and there are a lot of times if it's a one horse finish, I know who wins, but if you get a close finish where you get two or three horses coming into the final you know into the the final sixteen, and you're trying to figure out who to focus on, right. and that gets to be a bitch because ultimately I don't know who wins the race, sure <laughs> if it's real close i mean if if there's only noses apart, yeah, go figure because i you know unless Unless I get real lucky, and and am able to see, you know, after they pass me at the finish line, if I have time to turn around and look, I might figure it out. Or I look at the TV cameras and I think I look and see who they picked to follow back to the to the uh, winner circle. That's the only time I ever know who wins the race. A lot of times.
2: That, but, that's that's funny. You know, you don't even think about that. <laughs> that point. Well, you
0: got to concentrate on what you're doing. Sure. I mean, really, it's just like anything else. It's it's a uh, it's a it's a very dynamic sport. Although they always finish in the same place, they always go the same direction, which makes it easier. I've covered Olympics, Olympic sports. I've covered uh, um, you know any number of major event sports, and most of those are very unpredictable. But horse racing always finishes in the same place. And those are the pictures that you want. You want the guy, the, the jock excited, elating over winning. Of course, I know you trainers hate it when they do that because you're afraid the guy's going to pull off the back of the horse. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that's, that's my main concern. It's like I'm just, I'm just out there to record the event and make sure I get great pictures for the blood horse. Uh, who is my primary uh, source for my images now that I've left the Times Union, although the Times Union has brought me back to as a vendor to cover the Saratoga meat um, for the past two years. But you know, the Blood Horse is uh, my main source. And what sets the Blood Horse apart is their ability to use the images in a more creative manner because they still have print. But now they have the daily product, which gives a photographer even more, um, more—I don't know what you, whether you want to call it space or or play area or what—but it gives us as photographers really wonderful space to be creative. Because again, with horse racing, it finishes in the same place. There's a lot of similarity to all these images that you see. But in my case, I try to vary, you know, where I shoot from or whether I get closer or farther away from the finish line, whether I'm looking for jubilation. If it's a major race, I probably will look for jubilation. If it's a, if it's a you know upgraded stake and we're covering it just to record it, I'll shoot it in a different location. But the remotes, again, you start pre-planning where you want the remotes, depending on how, how big a deal the race is. And it's dynamic. It's, it's constantly changing in that, that regard. And in order to make it exciting for the people who are seeing our images, you have to get that excitement. You have to make a still image stand on its own and, and be exciting enough for somebody to say, wow, that's a great photograph. And that's what you look for every time you go to a racetrack. And if you don't, you don't need to be there. If you don't, you're just, you know, it's just, you know, making pictures. But for us as professional photographers, this is our ideal Our ideal end game is making sure that these images talk to the people who see them. They, We try to make them to the point where they have so much information in the image that when, when the people who read the blood horse or see the blood horse daily, they look at the image and say, wow, holy mackerel, how they do that. And, and I think that's, to me, that's the most exciting part of the business.
2: Let me ask you this question because e- even dopey people with no training like me can take Decent pictures now with the cell phones. The cameras are so advanced. How has, has technology uh, changed what you do and, and, and how you approach things?
0: Well, technology, well, I'm a real tech guy. I, I, love, I love all the new toys. If there's a new toy, I've got to have it because I want to use it because that will change how I cover the, you know, that will change how I, I approach covering the, uh, the event. Whether it be horse racing or anything else, like Nikon just came out with the the Z6 Mark, uh, generation two or Z6 two, it's a mirrorless camera. No sound. You go to a, a sales ground and you want to sneak around and shoot pictures, uh, getting these unusual angles and such. Nobody can hear you shooting. Wow. Or if you if you're uh, tasked as a photojournalist, as I am, at times I was. Asked to go into courtrooms, well, they're pretty picky about you know shooting in courtrooms in court cases in New York State, and they they ask that the quiet the camera be as quiet as possible. This is what this new technology has done: covering horse racing. Getting back to you know why we're on the blog here. Um, any new technology I I want because we cover we cover horse racing and in rain in sleet, in, in reduced lighting, um, except the church where they have lights now. Um, so you want to get the best equipment, the newest digital cameras that will handle the low-light situations. Or if, you, if, you, if you're forced to shoot autofocus, you want the fastest autofocus. And as we have succeeding uh, generations of digital, digital camera equipment, each generation gets better, and it, it's just making my life much easier, and it's extending my, my career, literally, because um, obviously as I get older, my reflexes aren't quite as quick, but using this new technology, it has made a huge difference. And,
2: and you don't have to develop pictures anymore, right?
0: Oh, I hate I was the, I hated wet darkrooms, hated them. And in my early part of my career uh, as a photojournalist, of course, that was part of the deal. You know, you had to go in, you had to develop your film, you had to uh, make prints, bring them out to the city desk, and they would either use them or tell you, you know, you, you missed the mark. But it's, it's getting to that point. That always excited me and still does is getting that peak image either at a spot news event or or a horse race or uh, you know any a uh, sport uh, covering sports or whatever you want that peak image you want that image that talks sure and if you can get a, 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 uh, a two dimensional image to to talk to the people. To literally talk to the people who are looking at it you've met, you've done the right thing
2: how is uh shooting in the morning and i mean r- most racetracks open and the track is uh i mean before dawn um some tracks uh have a lot oh you
1: mean like keeneland last month <laughs> yeah uh-huh.
2: some tracks have a lot better lighting than, than others um
1: yeah <laughs> Well, to say the least and,
2: and the funny thing is the, the lighting now is way better than it used to be i remember a couple of tracks where where it, it was just pitch black you'd be galloping horses and you'd be listening to them guys yeah oh, they sounded like they went by pretty good but i can't really see too much How how is it yeah. different obviously the the light situation but uh in trying to get um pictures uh, of I, I, a lot of trainers work their best horses by barkley tag for instance was a uh, oh, you yeah. know, a veteran oh, guy wants, wants to work first thing in the morning. And, I mean, how do you come up with good and images? Kenny
0: speaks the same way with Sky... Uh, uh, Sky Swiss it, Skydiver? Uh, Swiss Skydiver, yeah. yeah. Um, at Keeneland in particular, actually Barkley gave us a break because he was bringing Tisba Law at 8 o'clock. But, but Kenny, every morning, the minute the track opened, and there was literally no light. So you're looking for anything you can uh, lights from the grandstand. I was assigned to the to the barn area. So thank God there was a there was street lights. Um, you know over in the uh, the uh, what is it the Rice Road barn area where they had yes. all the uh, breeder's cut horses. They had those street lights. So I did a lot of you know artsy fartsy stuff of the street lights and horses walking through them and I did something like that with uh, uh, the Swiss skydiver. And um but oh and um and Churchill Downs, they have lights. They turn their uh, stadium lights on. So that's no problem. That's a piece of cake. Sure. And uh but let's see, at Santa Anita, when we're out there for the for the Breeders' Cup in the fall, again, it's very late before that light gets usable. But once it does, I mean you get these glorious sunrises. And and um at Keeland I was down in the barn area and I looked up and the sun was just coming up above the edge of the track and I got Steve Asmussen and one of his, uh, uh, ponying one of his uh, two-year-olds um, on the track and it was, it it just, it was probably one of the better images I made the entire weekend there. But you you deal with it, it's just, again, if you have the technology, you can pretty much Get around any problem that is thrown at you, except of course, oh, dark thirty in the morning. Right, and there's nothing you could do then.
2: <laughs> yeah, darkness is darkness. I I, I get that. Um, it's just uh, I, I just wondered because I've seen some really great pictures over the years of of horses in that you know, barely, you know, where it's probably a little little lighter than you know the first first thing, but. Um, I mean, it's it's obviously in the in the daytime. You you have the sun behind you. It's a, it's a, just a different uh, a different way of doing it. Um, w- would you say w- and be honest? W- w- what's your favorite sport to shoot?
0: Um, I'd have to say horse racing. Yeah. Um, you know, I've shot I've shot pretty much every major uh, major league sport. I've shot uh, NFL. I've shot. Uh, uh, NASCAR, I shot um, uh, Major League Baseball.
2: Um, well, horse, Olympic race, Olympics. horse racing is probably a little bit safer than those because I've seen a lot of uh, games, photographers get wiped out by NFL players and, oh, yeah. and, and NBA well, players. And, and, you know, baseball, you might get hit by a bat or a ball. And at least horse racing, the horses generally stay, you know, on the racetrack.
0: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> there is an exception to the rule as well. Well, Bodie
2: Express is retired now, so you don't have to dodge him anymore.
0: Yeah, thank God. <laughs> I, I was covering, uh, what was it? I was covering um, Lady Secret at Saratoga. I don't know whether you remember this. One of the, the final, last races she ever yes, ran. Yes, I do. I was she ran body. out.
2: Yeah, she, she bolted on the backside.
0: Yeah, and I was like, holy crap. Boy, if you were there, you're going to get run over. Or somebody you know, somebody gets uh, unseated at the start, and then you get a horse without a rider. That gets a little edgy as well. That gets your heart beating. Hopefully the outriders, and I have to tell you, the outriders at, at Naira and at Churchill are exceptional. I mean, they have caught horses when I couldn't believe they caught horses. Yeah, those, but,
2: g- those guys are good. Miguel in, in New York and... Uh...
0: oh. Um, Unbelievable, and uh, Pepe and those guys. Pe- yeah, they're, they're, they're,
2: those guys are really good.
0: Greg and Lee, um, Greg and Lee down at the uh, Churchill, um, out, just an outstanding group of people. But um, and and, anyway, and that's,
2: but a, that's, a, that's a tough job too. I mean, that, that really is a thankless job. But it's, it's, a, it's a tough job when you're trying to catch a horse that doesn't have a bridle on, or the saddle slipped underneath them, or uh, and oh, they're not yeah, wanting to I, get I caught. Imagine.
0: Nope. I can't imagine. I've seen horses try to, to jump fences and, you know, it's just, and then, then it gets really ugly. So rather than get into that part of the business, we don't even, I don't even look at stuff like that.
2: Yeah, um, let me ask you a question about that. Well, I mean, I know it's it's probably a, a little bit of a sensitive subject, but what about when there is an incident or, or uh, something? I mean, is it, Newsworthy, where you you feel the need to take a picture of that, or well, that's something. I mean, you just kind of my personal use your judgment.
0: Philosophy um, is: I would not shoot it unless it was something that was so important to the industry. But I would not normally shoot some, something like that because it's just not appropriate. And <laughs> and as a photojournalist, you're you're uh, you're forced to cover. Those events at a major race, you have to cover them. But you can do it with a certain amount of class. Right. Um, you know, you don't have to show legs hanging and things of that nature.
2: One one of the worst things I ever saw was picture Wand Was Gopher Wand and, and the Sports Illustrated covering it. I, I was, we we were there that day at Belmont, and we weren't too far away from the 8th Pole when that happened, and I mean, that was, uh,
0: you know. Well, she went down. Basically, when she pulled up, she went down right in front of yeah, her. Yeah, that that was pretty, you know, pretty and awful. That
2: Something that you, long you long never you forget. And, you know, comes out in, in, in the next week's Sports Illustrated, and they have, you know, like graphic pictures of it. And, I mean, well, to you be know, honest, if, if, skip it, if that to, happened these days and, and, and put pictures like that on a major, you know, publication, you know, who knows what would happen.
0: Well, the thing, again, you just have to, you got to be professional, but you don't have to be stupid. Right. You don't have to be, you don't have to be ignorant.
2: I'm I'm going to remember that's going to be my, one of my new phrases. You got to be professional, <laughs> but you don't have to be stupid. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I come up with really dumb things. No, a- that's a good
2: one. I, I, I appreciate that. That one's good. I'm going to, I'm going to have to credit you when when i use that one what about oh, no. what about people um i know that um uh, some photographers have been very uh, on social media very um outspoken about people stealing their images and oh, have God. have you had a lot of issues with that
0: yeah um unfortunately that is part of the case um people will ignore a copyright bug and then you have to go after them, and then you get into lawsuits and people using images without your permission, and it happens all the time. They figure since it's a, it's in a digital form, they can steal it and do what they want with it. And and you have artists that that will steal an image, use it in one of their artwork, and they say, well, that's not your image anymore, it's mine. Well, you used my image as resource, so either you pay me or I... I own the image because I'm going to sue you. Right, right. But in but again, you have to you have to talk to the people who are who are using your image without permission. The horse industry is is in is in a situation where there's not a lot of money going around to anybody but the horsemen. And you know, in order for me to make a living doing horse racing photography, it gets tougher every year because the competition is so high. We have people that will offer their services for free just to get their foot in the door. And what does that do for me when I have to make a living? I have to I have to be paid to shoot a race. So, you know, it's just and that's that's basically the same thing as stealing your images. It's like, geez, well, why are you putting somebody else out of business? When, you know, you could be professional about it and say, even, I don't even have a problem if they charge a, a fair price. But when they undercut you by doing it for free for, like, six months, right. that's not right. right. And then, then ultimately their price is much higher than, than what I would charge normally to cover racing on a regular basis. And it's just that kind of crap happens, too. I mean, there's all kinds of unscrupulous competitive people who allegedly compete with you in the, in the horse business. And then, of course, there's the very professional people who will, you know, work for what they're, they're worth.
2: Right. Where can people um, access your work? And, and, and uh, do you have a website?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's skipdicksteinphotography.com. If you use just com, that goes, that got hacked and it went to a uh, porn site in Hong Kong.
2: Yeah, sure, Skip. Sure, it got hacked. All right, come on. We know you're making a little money on the side.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I had to change my uh, domain name because I got hacked and they turned it into a porn
2: site. It, it was fun. I, I trained a horse for a guy called Free for Internet, and... um. If you went to freeforinternet.com, dot com, it was a porn site from from uh, United Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> the people were trying to like promote the horse, and they're like, "Oh, <laughs> oh my god, that's
0: crazy!"
2: Yeah, yeah, you know it's the internet, so uh, you know
1: <laughs> things happen. <laughs> yeah, nothing is nothing. Internet, internet,
0: um, cyberspace. I mean, you're any way you look, you could get hacked or whatever but um so far they haven't messed with you know the latest version of my domain name which is com. and that by the way is, is going to be updated considerably pretty soon so okay great the images you see on there are are older you know older images of horse racing you know i do i do commercial photography work as well besides the horse racing so
2: Okay. No problem. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on. And, um, uh, before I really, do, do you have a favorite horse? I mean, your favorite um, race that you, you watch or you're covered or, uh, even a favorite shot. Like what do you have? I mean, I know it's probably hard. You have, you know, millions of, of, of pictures you've taken over the years. What are favorite your favorites?
1: Race. Well,
0: uh, easy go to easy go or Sunday silence. Preakness?
2: Yeah. You were there for that.
0: Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And um Actually, my first triple crown that I actually covered was uh, was uh, American Pharaoh. Um, let's see. I'm just trying to think. I mean, each race stands pretty much on its own. Sure. The one thing I hate is is one horse finishes. They are very boring.
2: But Did, um, did you do spectacular bid?
0: Uh, no. The Woodward? That I did not do. No, I, I was, that was just before I really got into it. Yeah. You know, and I went on, you know, I was going on the road for the, that's before I got on the road for the Blood Horse. Sure. Um, gosh. I mean, I've covered so many races, so many cool races that I think every race. And I think as long as, uh. I think as long as my heart starts to race when um, the, you hear the, the bell on the, on the starting gate, I know I'm still alive. Because there, if, unless you do not have a heart or blood running through your, your veins and you don't get excited when you see horses coming to a finish line, especially when there's two or three, you don't have a heart.
2: No that's that's very very true. Skip I appreciate your time and uh hopefully uh I don't know when I'm going north it's too cold I can't deal with it but
0: uh <laughs> I'll see you next spring.
2: Next spring for sure when everything thaws out. Absolutely. Thank, thanks thanks for your time and appreciate you having having uh, coming on and, and sharing uh
0: My pleasure. Sincerely and anytime you want me to come on I'm I'm there.
2: You got it. Thank you, Skip. All right. Thanks, Chuck. Right. That was Skip Dickstein. You can check him out at com. He's taken a lot of good pictures over the years. Really great, great photographer. and uh, He's even taken a couple pictures of me, which, which I hate. But um, he has never probably taken a picture of our next guest. Our next guest is he's arisen from the murky world of racing twitter to become a a force of uh of reality the the reality <laughs> the reality show that twitter is on a daily basis mr swift hitter are you here
1: what's up chuck? what's up guys what's up chuck
2: should we call you mr mr hitter <laughs> okay
1: everybody i mean people already know my name so- Justin, but everybody calls me either Swift or Meatball. I could cover my uh, like my friends that I you know around just call me Meatball or Swift or Justin. It, are it's are you part.
2: are you related to the the Joey Meatball that got busted in Philly? No, I heard about of, that's, that story. No, no relation. Yeah, no, no <laughs> relation to that.
1: But it's just funny how I got that nickname too. Yeah, I heard about that story. <laughs>
2: Let me ask you a question. How how did you get involved in racing? Like uh, period. Like like what? Where where did you kind of grow up and, and and what were your uh, your early sure. early versions of, of of your story with with horse racing?
1: All right, I would probably say I was at the track at ten eleven. My father would take me to Aqueduct or Monmouth or Belmont. Uh, my father also had a farm in New Jersey and a farm in New York. Uh, he had quarter horses. He loved cutting quarter horses. That was his thing. He had some durrows. He went into a partnership on a durrow. That's where it kind of, like, my hatred goes to bloodstock agents because he kind of got uh, railroaded for a big purchase on a giant Causeway horse, uh, Causeway horse that went sour and stuff. And uh, Basically, I was on the farm. You know, if I wasn't playing baseball as a kid, I was helping him do stuff on, the, on his farm. He loved taking care of his quarter horses. He had some Doros, some old ones and stuff, and that was it. That was his enjoyment. He, he brought me up to be a horse racing fan. I've been at the track, Meadowlands, since I was 12 years old. He would give me a program, and I would start studying the horses. And I was hooked ever since I had a, hit a big double at Mom's, and that's when I was hooked.
2: <laughs> what position did you play in baseball?
1: I played second and third, and uh, I grew up with a kid who played baseball. He actually made it to the pros, Jason Marquis. Jason Marquis? He's Marti. one of the few that made it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I think I had him on on my fantasy team one
1: year. <laughs> yeah, he was. Good. You know what? He was actually a good hidden uh, hidden pitcher too. You know. He played he for the Braves. Yeah, Braves. yeah, Braves
2: Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah, that that's uh, that's 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 funny actually. Um, so what would um so you hit a double at Monmouth?
1: Yeah, I hit a double for like five hundred dollars and then at twelve years old that's a lot of money back then. And that that basically got me into my gambling, you know, then I would you know, I was telling you the other day that I would run uh I used to be a runner and stuff and I would get kids in high school to play with bookies with the sheets and and all that stuff and then it's been ever since that I've just been gambling since I was probably twelve years old.
2: You know that that's a story that that's heard time and time again, and it's one of those things that um, you know when people aren't going to the racetrack and obviously you know these times there's a different reason than um, than there was a few years ago when it was just kind of you know a lot of tracks just simply don't get much attendance wise, but um, it's hard to grow it's hard to become a fan of racing and I'm a fan in a sense of betting. If you're not there, and I, I know so many guys who who are, uh, you know, in in my age range, a um, little younger, a little older, and they got hooked the same way you did. They went to the races, and they they made a bet. And I, I remember when I was a young kid, and and, uh, and I I wanted these these um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sneakers. Right. Nice. And and I hit an exacta at Saratoga because my dad, I always, <laughs> I'd always have my dad play. I play seven three, play, and it hit, and it paid like I don't know thirty bucks and that back then, This was a long time ago. This was, they were like $22, right? Yeah. You know, my my mom liked to buy us the ones that cost like 2 bucks. So I got them and I was like, "Wow, this thing is this game is great." Like, you all you got to do is you pick the, you know, you you pick the two horses that comes in and and you can yeah. buy stuff, you know? And I, I know so many guys got hooked on it because they're like, "Man, I made more money uh, you know yeah uh, like you on the double it would have taken me a month of working at mcdonald's i don't know do that crap And 100
1: percent, man that's how it started i'll never forget the day like i hit that time. you know i went to the mall and i got some stuff i got my sister something and i hated my sister but just just the thought of having 600 dollars and you're 12 13 years old is something that you know my father took a little share of his too it was it's was funny how like I used to go to Atlantic City with him and my mom was my mom's a big gambler. My dad never really gambled. He, he played doubles. My dad wasn't really into gambling. He cared more about the horses than the gambling aspect. But he played once in a while. He would sit me outside. I couldn't go into inside the casino. There's this poker room. I tell the story a lot. Billy's poker room, it's upstairs in Bally's in Atlantic City. And they used to have the horse simulcast. And he would sit a chair outside me and I would just sit there all day and start tapping. And he he would run inside and play fetch with me, and come outside and sit with me and watch the
2: races. That that's so funny. We, we used to because I you know I grew up in Saratoga. And, yeah. um We used to go down in the summertime. My dad would rent a place on Long Beach Island, nice. and, and my that's dad was around. you know he he was yeah. going to the racetrack since he he was a kid too, and and of course every year. We would we would go um, to Atlantic City. We'd go to Monmouth <laughs> once yeah. in a while. We would make it to the Meadowlands, um, Garden State. Kind of it was it was between when it burned down and when they built it back up. But yeah. uh, I remember sitting outside. On they had like uh, like uh, bleachers, like you'd see at a high school football game outside Atlantic City. Because yep. kids who were under eighteen weren't allowed in, and my my dad would run in and make bets, and and he'd, he'd come back out, <laughs> and you know we 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 were you know we weren't allowed in. It was, it was it's crazy to think that that wasn't. I mean, it was yeah. it was listen, it wasn't like it was five years ago, but you know to think that it wasn't that long ago that that people the kids under eighteen years old weren't allowed in a racetrack. I know. Um, you know now it's 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 the gambling is such a, a pervasive part of our society. That it's 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 just hard to imagine um, some of the things that the the barriers that, that used to exist. I mean, it's just uh, it's just and crazy. Hey,
1: listen, I think you're 100% dead on too. It's how you going to get the 20 to 25, 20 to 30 year olds to start betting on horses because sooner or later we're going to lose an age gap where these kids these kids are gambling now, but they're gambling on the sports now, and they they're, they're going to lose this. Uh, horse racing needs to think of something where they need to get that young fan in to get them to the track because sooner or later it's going to be you know a whole different ball game in a couple years and they need to find some ways to get some the younger crowd into it. In my opinion,
2: you know, talk about raising Twitter and one of the sharpest guys out there and he is not exactly one of the 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 most diplomatic people in the world, but inside the pylons said something. Yeah. Like two years ago, and it's resonated with me since then. He said something to the point of racetracks think other racetracks are the enemy. They think that that's the competition. That's not the competition. The competition is the NFL, it's the NBA, it's Major League Baseball, it's sports betting. Because if you think about it, go in any casino that has slots. Walk around (laughs) and look at the people playing slots. And this isn't denigrating those people. But look yeah. at those people, and then you look at people you know who bet horses. They're yeah. they're two different groups. Having yeah. slots at a racetrack doesn't take much handle away. Yes, it probably took some of the handle away. When you have a monopoly yeah. in gambling, well, obviously you're the only game in town. People are going to play you. But it's not the 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 same type of player that a sports better is. When when I was in college, me and a, in a, in a, in a a former track announcer who won't be named uh, right. because we don't want to incriminate him we 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 <laughs> had the same thing we used to we'd get the bookie sheets and and, and everybody we'd make bets on you know we we take yeah, bets yeah, yeah. and tell me the story. yeah yeah like believe me we we weren't like OC New York City OTB the only bookmaker ever to lose money we we did yeah. fine on those things because they were kind of sucker bets and yeah. and a lot of the sports betting is sucker bets when you're betting on uh, you know who's the first guy that's going to score a touchdown, or touchdown. who? You know,
1: it's, it's, it, it's, I do. I do them too. They're fun. They're fun
2: to I do. To you know, but, but yeah, horse racing make... is such a better bet, and and the thing oh, it's like,
1: I always come back to a horse racing. It's the much better value of everything. I everything I ever gambled on in my life, I will always come back to a horse racing. It's just the value is always there. You can always you can always find value, and, and sports is sports. It's like you got to hit a a 30 game parlay to make like 20,000 or something like that. You could have your day where you're a $100 and you hit a pick 4, pick 5, that could hit 30,000. You know, just so much value.
2: Stephen uh, Chris said it best in one of his books. He goes, "The great thing about horse racing, betting on horse racing is you can bet a little and make a lot." Yep. And, and that's not easy to do in in sports, especially. Yep, it's it's uh, difficult to do in um e- it's, it's just, it's so frustrating from, from my, where I sit because I've been on both sides. I mean, I didn't grow up in horse racing. My dad went to the track a lot, but I had Mm -hmm. to sneak in the track when I was 15 years old to get a job. You know, I used to sneak in the the, the, the maintenance gate and and work on the backside. And I've done a lot of different things. I've had, you know, I've I've worn a lot of different hats. I've worked on the front side. I have worked as an assistant racing secretary. I've been a trainer. I've bred Mm -hmm. horses. I've, I've worked in the harness business, the thoroughbred business. So I've seen a lot of different angles. You know, I, I've got a different prism that a lot of people don't don't have. That, and it, it's frustrating to me that a lot of people, the suits of the business,
0: still still
2: look down on on people who who are basically their customers.
1: Oh yeah, gamblers get a bad rap. I mean, it's sad. That it's really sad that it's still there's still people that. Gamblers just look down upon, and we see it all the time. We see, I mean, they already know. You know what? If the problem is, they already know that they once they got someone hooked, they'd be happy with that. Like they keep the takeouts high, they keep you know increasing rates. They, you know, they never take care of the gambler, and then sooner or later, there's going to come a time where all the gamblers get fed up, and it's coming now. I mean, I could, I could see it on Twitter. I could see it. My friends, a lot of the computer players. Or computer programmers, or whatever their computer teams are really getting to the people who are just regular players that, you know, whatever, they have their job and then they're just playing a couple of hours and they see horses 6 to 1 in the gate. And next thing you know, the horse is 9 to 5 going out. So I think, honestly, fixed odds and other stuff, the future of horse racing really needs to start uh, looking at that different betting uh, paths than the old you know, what we're, what we're used to. So I really does hope it changes because sooner or later there's not going to be a game if the computer teams are we're just going to, the average player, the regular player, is just going to walk away and let the computer teams go at it with each other.
2: Well, that, that's the thing is that there's that law of diminishing returns where at some point the computer players will be too too big, uh, too much of the handle. Yep. And the value that they're seeking Will won't be there, and they're gonna st- start to pull their play back. Yeah, and
1: go to another game, and then we'll be up shit's creek, man. If that happens, because I mean, they, I, I understand. Like I've talked to some people, said they they need the computer hand, they need that money in their pools, but it's affecting everyone that's not them. So I mean, those guys get massive rebates. You know, it's fighting a battle that sooner or later, you know, everyone's gonna go broke on. <laughs> I,
2: I know. I'm not a big player, yeah. um, especially on thoroughbreds. But I know a lot of people that are, and they get frustrated when, yeah. uh, I mean, I play the Meadowlands pretty regularly. Yeah. I play it. I play and metal the uh last, not this Saturday, last Saturday, there was the, the early pick five. It was okay. almost an impossible sequence. Okay. And it's hit with a 20-cent... A 20-cent yeah, wager. One yeah. guy had it. One, and, and, you know, then you find out it was like an eighty dollars bet by a guy from Elite. And it's like that should have carried over again.
1: Yep, 100%. They take the money right out of the – this is like – I'm sure you played it. They take the money right out of our pockets. And it's it's been going on for years, and I've tried to say it. I know there's other – Tommy and a lot of guys who are trying to speak up. But it's like we're fighting a losing battle where, I mean, we're going to have to sooner or later – All stick together and say, "Listen, enough's enough." I mean, these computer guys, like like you said, they should have been a carryover, and they took people's money. And who knows that they could look at our our ticket structures? Who knows? They have so much machine, and some of the companies are allowed so much to these guys that I wouldn't be surprised that they're seeing what bets are punched throughout, and they're just punching numbers that we don't have, so they could carry over. And it doesn't matter because the money's getting recycled. They get their rebates, and it's just a recycling, and it's basically a losing game. When are you ever going to see a regular average Joe hit a a big pick six or one of those jackpot pick sixes? You're never going to see an average guy that's playing, you know, $100 a day or whatever, or $100 on the weekend hit a pick six. It's impossible. The game is impossible. So jackpot bets, I mean, there's some value on, say, you know, on payout days, on mandatory days, you get the players get the value. You can play that, then. that's fine. But on a regular day, like on Wednesday at Gulfstream, and you want to play a pick six, you never an average player will never have the chance to hit that jackpot ever.
2: It 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 is it's very very difficult. It's difficult to to compete. It's difficult, um, especially when when they're essentially. It's like having the the last hand all the time. You know, yep, they're betting at the, these, these micro fractions of a second yeah. after everyone else has. And, uh, I mean, how many times have you seen it? They're, yeah. you're, you're monitoring the, the will pays and um, an exact is paying $24, steady 24 25 23 $24. And uh, they, the last flash you see is 24 and and then they cross the wire and you get back sixteen eighty. And Yep. <laughs> that that's a little more subtle than when the horse is nine to one loading in the gate and goes across the wire at, at, at three to one, but it's still, it, it it's frustrating. And, um, it seems like everything they've, the few things that they've tried to counter just haven't been really, it just hasn't really worked out. And, and, uh, nope. I mean, jackpot bets are, are, are truly, um, you know, I, I'll be honest, I, I think a lot of the jackpot bets would, I think there'd be more if it wasn't for the backlash that they've gotten on, on social media.
1: Um, I, I kind of agree. I kind of agree. I mean, th- I know some uh, tracks are not allowing the computer players in and some tracks don't want that jackpot. But do you see what goes on in Los Al with the, the $2 pay, payouts and the $2? It's just so much better it's just so much better for everyone that, you know, the regular players, if you just increase the 50 cent tries again, and the 50 cent tries, in my opinion, got to go up. I'm not a big try player, but I think they got to go up back to like a dollar or $2 and same with the pick sixes. Make it, you know, I, I play in the casino. I don't go nuts. Like I don't go into the high room play If there's Like if there's a game, like a rack game that's going on, that's way above my head. I, I I would never sit at that table. So I don't understand why can't you have a two dollar pick six for players who just want to play the pick six. Like you could have a two dollar, you could hit a two dollar pick six on a hundred and forty dollar ticket, or you could have a big ticket go on. I just don't understand like that. They just wanted to do this just, just twenty cent pick six jackpots because it's basically they're all they're doing is recycling their money because. The only people that are hitting these jackpots on random days are the computer teams who have ties to the track. So what are you going to do?
2: That's true. You got to you got to kind of zig when they zag, and and. Uh... That's it.
1: That's the game. That's what Beam says, Mister Beam. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mister Beam is a, is a wise is a wise man. Yeah, He's actually, one man. of the best guys you are ever going to know.
1: I agree. You're uh, a good dude too, brother.
2: <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but um. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Are are you, was one of your goals when you were a child to be like the next Bob Arum? And Uh, you're going to kind of like try to get this, this, this Shug versus Chad Brown thing. Are you going to try to make this a, a, an event? I mean, maybe on the undercard of the Pegasus.
1: I would love to see that, man. You know what? I actually would love to see, you know what, you know what I would love to see is like Chad actually spoke what, whatever, you know, if more people were more upfront in this industry, with saying what they feel, I think more shit will get done than anything else in this world. But the problem is this: you know what? One hand feeds the other in the horse racing. Oh, you can't say that because uh, I have owners with that person, or that they use my trainer, they use this. I, I got this, that. It's like um, it's everybody's hand is in everybody's pocket where no one could say that. I know that that thing probably escalated because Shug took a swipe at uh, Liz and Brad, Brad who probably back in the day uh, when uh, the service stuff went on. Whatever. But at least Chad Brown had the balls to say, you know what, I'm going to say something, and he, he actually took a shot. And it, you know what, in all honesty, he was right because there was no reason for Shug to start complaining about that. But I would love to see something. I would love to see Shug respond back, you know. I mean, you probably have stories today that no one in their right mind has ever heard of what goes on at the track. Or you probably have them locked up, whatever. If more stuff got out in the open, I think it would be better for the game, and it would be better for more entertainment for people. To be honest, that's just my opinion.
2: It, it, it would probably be more entertaining. I, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to give Chad too much credit because he, he – is in a, a, a position of great power in this business. Oh, of course, so yeah. he could pretty much say whatever he wants. And, you know, 100%. as long as you keep winning graded one races and yeah. running one, two, three in these races, pretty much you could say almost anything you would like. You could probably wear a, a an Al Qaeda like Jersey too, to, to, uh, you know, the winner circle. And then everybody would be like, eh, geez, you know, but, but, um, no, I, I remember this, this might be before a lot of people's days, but, um, It's interesting to think now because Wayne Lucas has looked at like as the lovable grandfather type, but when he first got into the business in a big way and kind of spread out and, and and really was the first modern day super trainer, Mm -hmm. there was a, a, a sequence during, um, I can't remember the exact year, but the winning colors and 49er the year they were both three year olds. Okay. And, Wayne was not particularly liked, well liked at that time, and in the he was not. He was kind of an outsider, and he yeah, was yeah. kind of cocky, and and he was he was very. Uh, I mean, Wayne was a flashy guy. Wayne had had, had the Armani suits, and he had yeah, a you know, he had a Rolls Royce, he had a plane, Orlando. he had a, a <laughs> you know he had a farm in Oklahoma. I mean, it, it was it was a. Uh, I mean, Wayne 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 was a uh, he, he was big pimping back then. And Woody Stevens was like the epitome of a hard boot, old, you know, old Kentucky hard boot. And he got really pissed off that winning colors won the derby on the lead. No one really challenged her. And, and he sent 49er and he said some things before, um, before the Preakness and winning colors got challenged, um, in that race by, by 49 early, he, basically said some things i I wouldn't even repeat (laughs) and uh it (laughs) set it up for a horse named risen star um, and and who wound up winning the belmont by like 15 and then getting hurt and kind of a reminiscing of of what happens today got hurt and was retired and went to stud and really never did did a whole lot at, at stud uh risen star was probably the the best uh the best male horse by by secretariat um Clearly, Lady Secret was the best, uh, best filly. But uh, you know, Woody and 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 Chug were uh, not Chug. Woody and um, Lucas, Lucas kind of went at it a little bit. I mean, there was a a definite rivalry. But but Woody was old by that point, and 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 Wayne was like the up and coming guy. But uh, you know, there, there's been feuds before. But they, yeah. like you said, uh, racing people are very sensitive in this sport. They're very sensitive, and I, I've been preaching this for a long time to people. Hey. You want mainstream coverage, you can't be quite so sensitive, because I, I agree. Th- I mean, th- I think, think about the things know. that people are saying about Carson Wentz. You yeah, know, yeah, I, yeah. and they're they're just blasting this guy, and yeah. the guy was you know he's a top player, top pick. He won the Super Bowl, even though he didn't win the Super Bowl. But yeah. you know, he was one of the, maybe the top fifteen, twelve, ten yeah, quarterbacks everybody. in the NFL, and all of a sudden he's like. It's like he just can't play, and people just blast him. And and horse racing, like we're so sensitive to criticism, 100%. even when it's warranted.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think every, I think there's some uh, media people. I mean, some big names in the horse racing industry that are still quiet on Jason Service Navarro stuff. I mean, it's just, I mean, they saw it right in front of the face. Everybody knew what was happening, and they still haven't spoken up where they they should have spoken up where. That went on and I'm sure there's other trainers still doing it and I'm sure there's other trainers and people are owners tiptoeing that line right now and no one's speaking up. But carry on with your business. I understand I understand times are tough now in COVID era, like you 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 know, some people are counting on the money, whatever their business. I understand that. It's a hundred percent like you gotta do whatever to survive, but you you mess around with horses, uh, I'm gonna be pissed. Like I mean, I'm I'm always for the horses. You know, I grew up on a farm. My father took care of hurt horses. My father, you know, was all about the horses. You know, I never forget the day my mom was a nurse too, and uh, one of the, uh, his quarter horses got a nail in the foot. And they cared for that horse. I'm telling you, man, forever. Like that was that made sure they uh, cared for that horse no matter what happens name was go car bar and I'll never forget that my dad took care of her forever. Like that was like he loved them like he's children and that's that always resonated with me. That's always about the horse the animal before I and mean, whatever. We tiptoed that line. I understand, you know, it's a bu- business, but it's not a business that you know, I would I would always be with a trainer that try and does things right, you know. I like, mean that me and a couple of friends just got into a partnership with some horses, so
2: Well that that's the um the bluebird is that what it's called
1: yeah yeah, yeah. little bluebird joe t and stuff he's, he's doing it he's uh uh racing manager yeah we just got a part of the stand devil we just bought so i'm excited you know
2: and you know it's a great thing it, honestly yeah. it's it's i mean it's a
1: tough game but i understand. it's it's a but very it's, it's very
2: difficult and and that's yeah. one of the things that a lot of people who aren't um And we're not just ragging on super trainers, but they make it look easy because you don't see the carnage that they leave behind.
1: A 100%. You don't see the under 100 horses that didn't work out that people paid top dollar for. You only see them on TV. (laughs) But we know, everybody knows. (laughs) It's not an easy game, man. It spit out a lot of good people. And you just got to, I mean, it just comes down to luck. And having the right horse and everything, thats it's all you needed in life is just or an opportunity. I mean, there's a lot of tr- good trainers out there that never really got that great opportunity to showcase their talents because maybe that quality of you know stock wasn't that great, and that was it
2: that that's very true it, it It's also true that um the business has never really done a great job of of truly trying to come up with a statistical evaluation that actually makes sense. Everything is always by win percentage, or you know, oh, this guy wins all these stake races. Well, you know, he's got a lot of steak horses, he's supposed to win those races, he's supposed to win a lot of yeah, races. Without a doubt. They're not, yeah. it's not that they're not good trainers, of course, they're good trainers. But, um, you know, the the San Diego Padres play in a smaller market than the New York Yankees, and there's certain yep. there's certain advantages that the Yankees will have over them. Of course, but the way this is, the San Diego Padres would have a bunch of guys that look like you and me playing, and the <laughs> Yankees would have you know all stars, you know twelve A-Rod. twelve all stars <laughs> at every position, and that's horse racing. And then they want to say, well, the guy you know, the guy with the Padres, and eh, you know, they're really not that good. Well, how do you really know? How yeah, do you, you really, know? really know? And, and that's one of the, the, the things that's really hurt racing, and, and I've talked about it for a long time, a long time. In yeah. that when you don't have a, a proper distribution of talent, it's going to affect your product because it's not that the smaller trainers don't want to be able to compete. It's not that they don't want to enter in races. They don't have any horses to enter or they have horses that just aren't competitive. And, you know, the guy in the racing form on the side who writes little comments, yeah, you know, yeah. when you put a horse in. And, and, you know, he kind of was like, you know, oh, boy, trainer must have read the wrong condition book on this one, you know. <laughs> or, or <laughs> yeah, maybe if everyone else, uh, you know, fall asleep in the gate. You uh, look stupid, and, and that's not, you know, I, I, unfortunately I've been there. And, and, and it's not, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you run in spots sometimes you don't want to run in. And... Yeah.
1: yeah uh, You know what the problem is, too? that The game's also top-heavy with some of the top owners. Like, you get a you get a horse. You found, the, you found one of those few gems in the rough that, you know, you found the gem, you're on the right team, and then some big money comes in and swoops it out, says, listen, we're going to give you a, a big money, we're giving you this, we'll, we'll take care of it, but we're taking the horse from you and the trainer, and that's not right to the trainer, that's not right, I mean, the owner's got to do what's best, but this is what happens, the, you know, any horse that debuts and whatever, you see money going, that's, they buy that racehorse up real quick,
2: and honestly, it's not even that bad if the if the owner gives you your 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 percentage of, yeah, of, yeah, the, of the, the piece of the pie. Because yeah. honestly, there's so many things that can go wrong with a horse. There's only one thing that can oh, go right. Um, yeah,
1: remember the social inclusion horse. Remember that, <laughs> that that horse got a big offer and they turned it down. You know, stuff happens.
2: There, there's there's so many. Uh, it's and and let me tell you. Sometimes those big offers aren't really big offers. I, I've had bloodstock agents call me and they'll say, yeah, yeah. well, what do you take for the horse? Would you take 200? They're not offering 200. They're just trying to price your horse.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And I would always tell them, make an offer. I'll go to the owner. I'll ask him, but make an offer. What's the horse worth to you?
1: Yeah.
2: Don't worry. If it's crazy, I'm not going to laugh at you. I'm just yeah. going to say, Yeah, geez, that's not enough, you know, or that's might be in the ballpark. But but that's one of the the things, in that there's always guys calling up trying to to price your horse, and and then when they get a ballpark, then they they go to to they pitch it to other guys. Hey, this guy will take this for this horse, and and it, you know it's 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 all fair and love and war, but uh, but but one of the big problems is the there's just not enough, um, and we're not talking grade one horses. There's just not enough solid horses with a, a lot of the middle tier trainers. Yeah, and I agree to to fill, to, to fill races. It's just uh, people use Hong Kong as an example once in a while as a, a model of, of how we should, you know, we should copy yeah, this from Hong, there's should there's copy that, that yeah. from Hong Kong. We well, should copy that from Hong Kong. When you want to do something from Hong Kong, you know, what one thing about Hong Kong is there's no super trainers there. Yeah,
1: there's no super trainers and really no super horses. Or they're owners, they're
2: are, getting- owners are allowed to own four horses. Four. Yeah. So there's no domination by anyone. It's a handicapped system. Um, yeah. There's no dropping, uh, claiming them for 30 and dropping them in for 10. Uh, there's there's no four-horse races. It's it's just, um, yeah, it, it's great. So, like, you want to use Hong Kong as an example? Well, let's use Hong Kong as an example for a lot of different things, not just their drug testing. Let's yeah. use them as an example of, of, of putting on a racing program that, it features full fields full of competitive races.
1: I like that, yeah.
2: That 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 works for everybody. And when we do that, yeah. when we have those cards that have full fields of competitive races, the breeders' cups and even the claiming crown.
1: Yes, but last week was great. Golf, yep.
2: People bet. They bet. Uh, yeah. That's what it's they that want.
1: Total yep. So so that's why why are that's...
2: we giving them
0: that?
1: Because I, I, it's I, difficult I and what we did, have to you, tell you people would no. Know more than me. You know what I don't know, been- is there like I look at California racing, I don't even give California racing really a dime that much. Like, you know, I play once in a while, like I play Del Mar but like the five or six or fields, like I can't play that. It's just if I'm not pounding stuff, I, I mean what's the sense of, of playing that? It's not what I wanna see like I know a couple guys are against this, but I'd rather see an odds board of Four to one each horse four to one and up like you know that that creates some value and and you know vertical and horizontal bets it's i don't want to see uh three to fives at san anita i just don't want to see it and they haven't gotten any of my business in a while but what are you gonna do
2: it's amazing it's amazing to think that it wasn't that long ago that we had battles and people arguing whether what 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 racing is better new york or california new york or california and, oh, no. and, and Kentucky wasn't even a, a factor at that point and California has slipped so so much and, and it's difficult to really see them recovering because they have the the, the animal rights people are just yep. they're fierce out there. The, the California Racing Board is wildly incompetent in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, the, the, the government is not for them. Everything is so expensive. Uh, it, it's just a, a yeah. difficult task. And, and I mean, Los Alamitos is, is, is only going to be around as long as Mr. Aldred is alive. I mean, he's made yep. no bones about it that when he passes, that's it. So, you, you know, we're going from a, a world that we had six or seven tracks. You had Bay Meadows, you had Golden Gate, you had Hollywood park, you had Santa Anita, you had Delmar, you had Los Al yeah. to, a, to where we're going to have uh, Del Mar Santa Anita, Golden Gate, and, and who knows about Golden Gate?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I know. I felt uh, like I'm friendly with Wong, uh, Jonathan Wong, and he's saying that's at the end of December and stuff like that. And I'm just, it's just crazy. People's livelihoods at stake. It's like they've done this their whole life. It's, you know what? I honestly, I I love people who come up with like fresh, like that's why people need like in the racing game needs ideas from you or whoever. You, listen to the gambos. Listen to, dude. Do stuff off the wall. Like, I mean, why not have stuff like where you combine fields of, like, or have a New York versus uh, East Coast versus West Coast type stuff where all the West Coast horses are shipped to the East Coast for a New York meet, and then next year all the New York horses go out west, and, you know, you kind of have that kind of stuff where the horses get shipped out there. It's just everybody's, like, trying to keep these small tracks alive. I mean, like, there's no reason. I mean, I love the aqueduct, I grew up on aqueduct. And, I mean, the aqueducts actually cars have been pretty good over the past couple of weeks. But there's no reason, like, to run aqueduct in February and March because no one's going to be here. Everybody's going to be down at Gulfstream. So why not just ship them where, you know, ship? Why even have that meat then? But I guess, you know, there's bigger, you know, hands to feed and stuff like that. So, But there needs to be a point where new fresh ideas come, where they got to try something new to get horses out to the West Coast. So, I understand they're doing incentives money-wise and stuff like that, but really have, like, where you said, listen, East Coast horses can come out there, and we're going to have a big field. We're going to have 10, 12-horse fields, and we're going to you know, try to fit them into their class ranks, into their you know, claim and stuff, and we'll give you guys incentives for coming out here. And just for an aqueduct, let's cancel in March and, you know, whatever, February.
2: You know, there, there's so many good ideas out there. And maybe they're not perfect ideas to start with, but if you could come up with something that sparks an idea that, yeah, that people can can gravitate to, uh, Barry and I have been talking about this for a couple of months about my. my it's more me than I'm kind of dragging Barry along in this, but yeah. I, I said I don't know why the Breeders' Cup doesn't set up a at least six month long a series of races that leads up to the Breeders' Cup instead of just winning your in stuff because the I horses are, that win, are, those races are going to be in. And, and uh, again, I'm, I'm not anti-owner in, in any way, shape, or form. I'm for owners. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to, I, I mean, I've been uh, an advocate of th- that we need to take care of our, our the owners better than they do because yeah. people on the, the gambling side, they kind of think that owners all get, like, you know, everything handed to them. That's just the top guys. It's just like the trainers, like the normal average guy that just owns a couple claiming horses. Believe me, there's nobody meeting him with a, 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 a silver platter with no, a, this no, his racing format. Yeah, but you know, set up a series where the races tie into the end of the year. And I said, start with like Philly sprinters. Right? There's no yeah, yeah. big Philly sprint races that people say, "Well, we can't move this because we traditionally run this race." Over. Right, but but it it, it's it's I mean it was one of the most popular races uh, on the card this year because of the the, you know the gamine versus uh, Serengeti kind of deal and and it's like why is it that the only time that we get these matchups I mean think about Midnight Beast who ran this year and Monomoy Girl ran this year. Yep, And they never ran against each other because I know. they were all putting all the chips yep. into the breeder's cup and let's make it worth their while to meet at Saratoga or 100%. to meet at, at, uh, at, yep. at Delmar or to, you know, to, to, to make it the the year in championship, uh, make it a lead in, but let, let's have qualifying things. And, and yes, yep. they're all going to qualify, but, but make a bonus structure of some sort. And, you know, it's just there's so many things that we could do that uh, because just letting uh, a handful of guys with all the good horses pick and choose. We're yeah. not getting the best races we can get except by luck sometimes. And it's why the Triple Crown races are great because no one's ducking the Derby yeah. for to wait for the Preakness because it's going to be a smaller field.
1: They got to go. I never forget Liam's map ducking American Tower. I was so pissed off that, that Liam's map didn't go against... Uh, American Pharoah, and, and that pissed me off to no end. And I was just, I was just chatting with a uh, a, a bloodstock agent on Twitter about some of these owners of chicken shit that they don't want to lose the breeding uh, value of the horse, so they don't want to come into that dream matchup where you would love to see. I love this year's Breeders' Cup Classic. I didn't like the tactics of Tis the Law, and and but I, that field was deep, uh, and but the track played so authentic, and that's what we got. But that field was great. The Breeders' Cup Classic this year was one of the best fields in some time, in my opinion, where, you know, I mean, you had Tiz, you had Maxim, and you had, you know, Authentic. It was good. It was, you know, it was primed for a good matchup and just the way the racetrack was playing that day. But you're 100% dead on. You want that Saratoga prime matchup where, you know, Songbird versus Forever Unbridled, you know, was going down. Or and you want that pride matchup, but you know what? Like the, I was talking to the bloodstock agent, he's like, "Some of these owners of chicken shit. They don't want to see the horses lose value. They don't want the horse to lose because they're going to lose a ton of money in breeding."
2: And, and that the funny thing is, a lot of those guys, the, the amount of money that they're worth, the, the taxes that they wind up paying if they sell a horse will be, yeah, it'll, it'll be, it'll kill a part of their value. Anyways, it, it's like uh, you know, really frustrated me was Zenyatta. Was oh, that yeah, they yeah. kept her in California, and they kept running the same races on the same surface against the same. And there was a – I mean, she raced against some of the, the uh, historically bad group of fillies. I mean, they were bad. They just were not good. That doesn't mean that it wasn't a really great horse. But, I mean, could you imagine her racing on the turf yeah, uh, with right. that kick, like in the Beverly D, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. fair t- a fair track yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. like a you know a neutral yeah. track? Or, or, you know, she never raced at Saratoga. And I know she was at Churchill – before she yeah. ran in the final Breeders' Cup, and she scratched yeah. one year, but you know she made a trip to Oaklawn. But you know, even Ed De Rosa's uh, obsession with Ghost Zapper, Ghost oh, Zapper yeah, yeah. never ran anywhere. Frankel, no. like he, he meticulously yeah. planned out the, the, his his, his, his yeah. campaign, yeah. Were three That's and four right. race campaigns where he yeah. he had the best of it, and yes, he was a great horse. But the horse won six state races lifetime. Yeah.
1: Spectacular Bid won
2: nine stake races in in, in his four year old year. Yeah,
1: that's why my favorite horse of all time is probably Cigar, and Cigar was all over the map. Dubai, where Cigar did everything, you know.
2: There was a there was a brief era there, like where Cigar Skipaway, formal gold, where where horses kind of ran all over the place. And they you know one of the keys to that was they didn't have great pedigrees. Skipaway's pedigree was as ordinary as it gets. Cigar's pedigree, come. Cigar was really bred to be a turf horse, and his sire wasn't really yeah. much good at doing that. So it wasn't, even though the the, the you know the, they were great horses, the, the pressure awesome. to retire them to stud wasn't as great. And, and, and I've said it a couple times now, and, and I'm just repeating what someone else said. Tom's the Tot, had he not raced this year and gone to stud, would probably have gone to stud in Maryland or somewhere for $4,000. And because he, ha- he came back, he had a really good year. Uh, yeah. he's going to stand, I think he's standing wind star, uh, you know, <laughs> for, a for a lot yeah, more than 4,000. Right. So uh, you look at this year's, even the Pegasus now, now, um, yeah. the crazy horse, uh, what's his name? The one, Bodie express. Now Bodie he's, express. he's out, yeah, right. You look at, yeah. look at the Pegasus and it's like, yeah,
1: that's man, this year, I mean, who's going to, I mean, is, 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 performer coming down now? I mean, since the law's is going to be in it, but who else is going to be at, uh, I mean, Charlton is Charlton back on the map.
2: I think I mean, Charlton's going to run in the the Malibu yeah. against Malibu, Nashville.
1: Right? And then, then I guess who knows what the Pegasus I got is. I got a
2: feeling Nashville's got something for Charlton. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, Nashville's, legit, right. man. Nashville's pretty good. I mean, I know people. <laughs> sometimes I, I hit you, you cringe there, when people.
1: I was there and I, I saw that. I mean, he, Ashworth can get them, man. I mean, I, I me and my buddy Tom were big Matoli fans, and I'll never forget my buddy hit me up. He's like. You got to see this horse at Oakland Park. He's going to be special. And it was Matolian. We followed his career. And Matolian, you know. And then who knows? The, well, who was the horse that Navarro had in the Askmanson bomb? He's supposed to be back soon. Who knows? But yeah, there's, like uh, I had this discussion on Twitter the other day. and all these horses are retiring early, three, four years old, and that's it. They're, I mean, I don't, you, you brought up some good points. I mean, I, I understand I there's so much money in the breeding shed. I understand that, but retiring horses at 3 and 4 years old that run four times i mean it's, it's you're not going to get any young fan you're not going to get the young person that loved the horse like i love cigar like cigar cigar was like me and my father's moment like i went to that Bridges cup i still have a 2 dollar win bet on cigar like that was the horse i followed where are you going to get that nowadays the horse is going to be retired by Tisdala probably win the Pegasus. If he does, he'll probably be retired. And, listen, I respect them, and I honestly believe they should have won I, I think
2: Tisdala is going to run all the, the whole year. All right,
1: I hope he does. Yeah. I really hope they, and that stable, they they will run that horse. I'm hoping he does. So, But, yeah, the, I mean, Russian Fall this year, the prime of her career, four times the whole year. I understand the COVID stuff, but these horses used to run once a month. And big races all around. They would travel. Now it's just like like you said, it's detailed, planned out. Oh, we, we won here, we're gonna go here two months away. We'll start lightly training this horse and that's it. You get four or five races and then and that's it. That, that was that
2: was one of the beauties of Cigar's campaign was that yeah, he raced everywhere. He he started the year in Florida and he he went to Arkansas, yeah. he went he raced they raced him in Arlington Park, he went to Suffolk yeah. Downs, he raced in New York, at Saratoga, at Belmont, um um maybe he didn't run a Saratoga he might not have run a Saratoga but no i don't i don't he, think said he he went to uh, del mar he he del raced them yep. um you know he, the horse raced in front Every. of a lot of different things and that's one of the things that the breeders cup originally was supposed to be it was supposed to be a, a traveling and year end championship and it's kind of got to where Um, uh, yeah. and and there's you know listen there's a, there's issues in new york they were having issues for years over who actually don't even own the track and the state, you know, fought about over yeah, that yeah. nonsense. So, uh, but they don't seem to really have any desire to have it anymore. And, and I think no, that's no, the, I, that hurts. From what I,
1: from what I heard is that it's not, it's not, uh, it's not Breeders' Cup that doesn't want to come to New York. It's actually the Naira people that don't want the Breeders' Cup there yeah. because they don't get their piece of the pie. So. No,
2: you don't, you don't No, the host tracks don't make a whole lot of money, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there was a push for a while about, about trying to, to, Bring back Hialeah and have Hialeah be a uh, be a, a
1: breed, I, listen, Breeders' I, Cup site, so, which would be
2: great. See, I mean,
1: I, I, I would love to see a uh, an East Coast Breeders' Cup. Man, I, I I was fortunate to go to to Keeneland this year, and it was a good time. But I would love to see it on a Belmont. Belmont. I would love to see that. Even Gulfstream could probably host the Breeders' Cup down there. Yeah,
2: I don't know what Gulfstream. There's just not enough seating. There's not enough. There's just not no. enough. I don't know. There's I, not I, enough I, uh, places the for the fufu people. You know. And uh,
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: it's it's pretty jammed up with about you know fifteen thousand. So, uh, but Hyalea is, is highly would be awesome. It, it would be really would be sick, great. Yeah. It's just you know, there's a lot of it's like everything else, man. There's always like you yeah, can okay. come up with these great ideas, and everyone's going to say, "Well, you can't do it because of this. Can't yeah, right. do it because of that." But why
1: couldn't I mean, the weather's great.
2: Yeah, the weather's great. I mean, the, the the grandstand, everything is is really you know pretty well preserved, and it would just take a lot of money to to get the track yeah, back in right. order to that's get the right. turf back in order. And uh, yeah. I, again, you know, like we just said, the Breeders' Cup takes the lion's share of the money, so they would probably have to do some sort of joint venture with Highleaf. Yeah. So
1: where's where it the, the next few years? I know right. Delmont next year, and then probably Watson. Uh, I Please think see? it's
2: back to Keeneland next. Uh, yeah. Not, I think it's back to California next year, and then Keeneland again.
1: Yeah, I think he like even gets same- it
2: in 2022 because of, you know, there was, well, even though there was a lot of fans, there was supposedly not a lot of fans, but yeah it was actually for well-connected fans, I should have said that.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> like you. <laughs> <laughs> and Barshu. one of the
1: best experiences. Yeah, that was a great time, man. It was fun, but there was a lot of people in there that like, who oh, no. knows? But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, listen, I told my TVG rep, I was like, listen, if you could get me in there, get me in there. And he got me in I was like, oh, thank God. You know, it was just nice to be at the track. It's, You know, it's. I love being at, you know, I used to go. I would love to be at, uh, at a Belmont in the fall and on a nice fall day, on a Saturday. Just, that's like, that's reminds me of my old man who passed, you know. We used to go to the Belmont on a nice Saturday, have a nice, you know, Manhattan clan chowder. Just watch the horses outside and just, that's that was life to me, you know. My old man got me into it and I've been hooked since
2: yeah it's uh i i have i have similar memories of of the track and you know going yeah. these days it's just is a little bit weird and
1: uh um, oh, it yeah, yeah. skipped I
2: mean, dikstein the photographer on before and he said you know it was just bizarre this year doing the triple crown races because there's there's no noise you know there's no people it's just you yeah. hear you hear everything and and that's that's <laughs> the, the that's the strangest thing is is going to the track and you know, the, the, yeah. you miss the camaraderie and, and uh
1: Yeah, you miss the fr- the friends you made, you miss the uh, you know, even like the competitive someone next to you is rooting for another horse or somebody, you know, this or that. It's just it's just like it's a whole different ball game now. And like I said, they better start thinking people in higher places better start thinking how are we gonna get this young crowd in. I mean, I go to Mammoth all the time and you said that but me and my friend Dan, a couple of my other friends, my friend Bach, we all sit by the horses. It's quiet. It's the old timers playing. You know, our fathers got us into it. You go right next door to the sports book, and it's mobbed in the sports books. Young kids, crowds, uh, people watching the games, this and that. And it's so much. You got to start really. Some people who earn some big bucks better start thinking how are we going to get this money into into the horses. Cause Listen, not-
2: this might be your your next your next career move. You you could become a, a, a racing <laughs> Listen, consultant. I
1: would love to- I would love to do it. I mean, I love gambling. I would always be a gambler. I don't know the rules of that. I mean, <laughs> but I would love to. like. Any, listen, I am. anybody hits me up, asks me on anything, any handicap horses to questions about ticket structure. I know some of my ticket structure gets criticized, whatever. But I'm always there to answer. I have no problem helping someone out. I would love to. You know, I, I introduce my friends to the game. Anytime big racing days, my friends always hit me up. Let's put some tickets in. Let's do this. I'll draw in a couple hundred, whatever we need. Let's go. My friends, but my friends grew up on sports, so it's tough to get a non-horse racing fan into the horse racing. You know, I brought them up to Saratoga. Saratoga is heaven to me. Saratoga is the place to be. They loved it. But it's only a one-time thing for them. I could live at Saratoga. They could, uh, go once in a while, have some beers, bet some horses. And have a good time i I try and get friends and family into the game
2: yeah and i think everyone in in the business whether you're just a um a small player or a big player or you're a a a trainer or a breeder or an owner or whatever you are you you know we we have a certain responsibility to try to bring people in and to teach them because you know when when we're going up against sports betting most people most kids they, they know how baseball is played they, yep. they get it, and, and they they watch football, and they know the rules, and they don't have to be yep. taught that. See, this is the yep. racing. People kind of have to be taught racing. And yeah, then it you got to read a
1: program. My friends ask me all the time, yeah. how do you read the program? I try and take my time, you know, explain it to them, see what I see. I mean, it's hard at times because they be like, oh, not enough for me. And you know what the problem is, too? 30 minutes between races, I mean 25. Like, we're, we're sitting at Saratoga having drinks. And there's a long waiting period, and it's just like you're just sitting around, just, what oh, do you like, this, that, you talk, your bullshit with your friends, This oh, this, that, and then next thing you know, it's still 20 minutes to go. That's why I love me and my friends, we, me and my, like, couple people, we bet the Stronrick every week. It's quick action, one hour, race after race after race. You've got a dollar pick five, race after race, race after, and then the payouts are great, and the action is so quick that, boom, gets it done kids today now want the quick action gamblers want the quick action sometimes too so what's your
2: what let me ask you a couple of quick questions what's your favorite Dad. favorite track
1: my favorite track is to bet on or to be at both what do you mean? Mm-hmm. to be at is uh, Saratoga to bet on is Belmont
2: what what's your favorite uh, race
1: my favorite race of the year uh i would no, probably
2: to no no i, I d- what, give uh, me one that your favorite race one particular race and then give me one favorite like I like the Arlington Million or I like the the Travers okay
1: I I would say my favorite race of all time would probably be Serena Song's Haskell Mm -hmm. and uh, I would probably say my favorite race of all uh, of the years probably the Breeders Cup Mile I love that Breeders Cup Mile I mean that's one of my races that I always look for the turf or the dirt the dirt uh, the dirt
2: Breeders Cup Mile Uh, dirt
1: yeah, I'm not a big turf guy. I mean, my friends love turf racing like my friend Dan loves turf. I hate turf racing. <laughs> I love I, I dirt and sprint races. I love uh, six the six-row-long sprints or the miles. You know, I love the mile. Like I love Liam's Map. I love that horse. I mean, there's horses where, uh, who was the other horse? Omaha Beach. You know, there was. There, I love those mile dirt horse races. I loved uh, Frosted's uh, Met Mile was incredible. Uh I, I could, those races to me it's just it's a mix between, you know, a little speed and stamina, but those m- one mile races to me really show you something that a horse is made of. Like Frosted's Met mile. I will always remember that race. And you know what's crazy? My father was still alive but we were betting Frosted against American Pharaoh and we were chasing him against him and I'll never forget the travels when Frosted took it to uh A P. And just didn't allow him, you know, Jose Lefiano, my boy, didn't allow him to get that that easy lead and, you know, set it up.
2: Who's your favorite jockey?
1: Uh, of all time, I would probably say uh, Johnny B. I think Johnny B is probably the most consistent, most consistent, and you'll get a great ride from him every time. Just no complaints. But I would say Jose Lefkiano is probably my guy I go to turf on all the time. I look where he started and I say, does this horse have a chance? It has a chance. I'm probably going to lean Lesquiano on the turf. And I know you. the funny story you told me the other day. That was good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Stewart's got mad at me that day.
1: <laughs> yeah. he, he does good, man. He, he's a consistent jockey. I mean, he gets some stuff, you know, but everybody gets bashed. Like, I don't think there's not one person on Twitter or anywhere that doesn't get bashed or something. It's like, Whatever you do is not good enough for
2: anybody. So no, nah, I think that that's a societal thing. No, no matter what peop- yeah. I, I used to say about this the, I, I I used to tell us, um, oh God, who was oh I was, there was this this harness train. I was I was working in the in the harness business, yeah. and he used to complain no matter what, no matter what he would complain when his horses went. Oh, I got to move up in class. <laughs> and, and and I say, you know what? You're the type of guy who hit the lottery and bitch about paying the taxes. <laughs> you know, there's always those people. Except now that we have the social media and everyone has a has a uh, a forum. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, and everybody's yep. like, hey. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I, I get it all the time. Like that ticket structure sucked. Why'd you include the favorite this that? I I mean, I, it's cool. Whatever. I, I listen. I'm gonna make mistakes. I'm 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 not a winning player. I, I admit that regularly. I, Everybody sees I lose. I mean, it's not a game, but when I do hit, I show winners, I show losers. It's just, it's, I like, I do it for fun. Like, I, I don't, I gave out the Sponer to everyone last week. I, $200 ticket, boom, hit for $3,600. I, I gave it out before, before I post. I, I don't charge people tickets. I don't do it. You know, I'm not like that. I just do it for fun. Like, that's just me being me. If you, you met me, it's, I'm just, just having a good time watching Austin. Hey, really
2: I saw you guys hit the pick five at Pompano. Yeah, we lost
1: money. <laughs> 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 but, but that was, that was uh, a big ticket. That was a big ticket. That, 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 was, that,
2: that was a big ticket for Pompano. You, you guys were like the the batch players of, of Pompano that night. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a couple guys online that loved our ticket because they were doing twenty dollar pick five.
2: <laughs> yeah, there, there was.
1: Yeah, uh, listen, I don't mind big tickets because. Like turfway, there's a carryover somewhere, I believe. And if you put in a thousand fifteen hundred dollar ticket, they just split three ways or whatever. I mean, that's the type of thing that you could hit for forty thousand. Is anyone going to complain if they put in a fifteen hundred dollar ticket and hit for forty thousand? I- I'm not going to complain.
2: <laughs> no, I hear you. I thought the funniest thing was was Tweedledee was Bill was he, he was. Uh he was disgusted to use Fern Paquette on a ticket. No, we don't use that guy
0: <laughs> 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 ever.
1: Yeah, yeah. I honestly thought he gave those 'cause those because I mean, I, I, I listen. I play harness. I've had some nice scores at Meadowlands. I had some. I don't know if you were around, uh, like you uh, you saw last year when I got dq would out of uh, like a five thousand dollar pick four. And harness racing, you never get dq would I mean, it, it was so rare. And the seven was much the best in this race. I got DQ'd out of a five-grand pick four at Meadowlands. Five grand, DQ'd, taken down. Huh. Uh, and, yeah, and it was just like, I love playing Meadowlands. I, like, my father, I never forget, like, we used to get, if you've been to the Meadowlands, you go up the old ramp, yep. with the old, the old building in Meadowlands. On our Friday nights, like, I never forget, I got the one of the funniest stories ever. I got it to, I was playing basketball back when I was, like, skinny, and I was an athlete. I could do stuff, but... I got into a fight on the basketball court. I actually, uh, I tried to save the ball, and I hit a kid in the face. And he just started swinging, punched me in the back of the head. I got in a fight. All my friends are there. Uh, you know, His, I, I actually wound up breaking the kid's nose. The kid's family came up to my parents, whatever, saying you broke it. my son's nose. Oh, blah blah blah. And I was like, yeah, it was a fight. There was nothing you could do. Blah blah. My dad's like, let's go. We're going to the middle and it's going to get you out. And I I never forget, like, going to the Meadowlands at like 14, 15 years old, just walking up that ramp, just with the Meadowlands program, studying John Campbell. And just, I grew up on that. And then, like, he's like, here's $100. We're going to go play. And, you know, started playing daily doubles, pick threes. And it was, that was just like my my Friday night, just staying at Meadowlands with a bunch of old guys screaming, you know, get them home, Johnny. I never forget, man. So many people cursing at Campbell or this. Uh, man, it was just, that's how I grew up, man. It's just, that was my into horse racing. It's just funny that it's just full circle that I, I still go to middle ends and I still fucking watch them. So uh, I'm always into harness I watch harness but I didn't know the Pompano drivers that well.
2: Well, now you do. Now now you <laughs> Yeah. Now you know never bet for a i, I one, <laughs> one of my, one of my, my, the best memories of my childhood was um, me and my dad and, and Two of my best friends, we drove down on uh, Belmont Day, the year Swale won. Yeah. And we had the most unbelievable day betting. We won everything. We won, like, literally swept the card. Holy so shoot, we were yeah. like, you know, doubleheader, we're hot. We don't want to stop now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we yeah. drove from the Meadowlands, or excuse me, from okay. Belmont to the Meadowlands. Yeah. And we got cold. <laughs> 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 the hotness did not, uh, did not, um, um, it did not carry over the river. But uh, I we, we saw a Rolls Royce get smashed in the valet. First time I ever oh, saw that. God. And uh, it was just one of those memories of, of like this great day of, of just, uh, you know, and like, right. Gambling. started right from the beginning in the morning. Like we had the form and you're handicapping in the car and you plot yeah. your bets out and you get there. And, and you know what the funny thing was? It wow. was $5 admission in the clubhouse okay. back then. Awesome. $5 on Belmont Day. And, can't beat that. And uh, obviously, Swale won the Belmont. We, 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 like I said, we swept the car just about. And it was there was not even a question of whether we were going to go to the Meadowlands. We were absolutely going to the Meadowlands, and we started to drive back to Saratoga. <laughs> That's
1: my type of people, man. So yeah. it, it
2: was just one of those, uh, uh, you know, one of the, one of those those you know memories that you had, and and uh, you know, the Meadowlands on a Saturday night in, in the summertime, there'd be the place would be packed.
1: Yeah, Ma packed. Yep. But, um, yeah, but, uh, like Saratoga, don't they sometimes do the harness that night? We would do Saratoga to Saratoga harness, uh, whatever some nights, uh, it was fun, or just stay out to the simulcast for the Saratoga harness. We'd go eat at uh, the Italian place right there and then just go catch some simulcast and watch a national Charles down there at a good day at the track. Uh, I miss those Saratoga days, man. I really, I'm really hoping this year the vaccine, we get this COVID behind us and. Saratoga gets uh, opened up. Cause it
2: goes back to, it ten, goes yeah, back to normal or three. semi-normal.
1: Yeah, that's what we listen. I don't, I don't get Cuomo and stuff. Like you could go into a casino, but you can't stand outside at Saratoga with six feet apart with a mask. I mean, if there's one sport and event that you could go to, it's horse racing outside and be socially distanced. You could uh, sit on a bench, and you know you could shut down machines. You could you could basically social distance at a racetrack.
2: Yeah, there's there's no doubt. Uh, it's it's brought a. Uh, I mean, we don't have much power in that state politically, yeah. And it it shows. But um, you know, yeah. like you said, let's just hope that by the time the summer rolls around, things are yep. back to semi normal. Even if we have to wear the stupid masks, yep. it's still better to to wear a mask to to something yeah, than I, than I, to but not they, have they it.
1: They said you got to wear a mask to come into the racetrack. I'm wearing a mask. No press. I want people in there. Man, I miss going to the crowds at racetracks. You know. It took this year was tough on a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of people are spending money just gambling at home because they're bored. They, you know, you know, just what's on TV. What to do? Oh, I'm gonna go gamble. Well, I'm trapped in the house. Oh, I'm gonna go gamble. It's it's not healthy for a lot of people. You want to go out? You want to enjoy? You want to enjoy the racetrack? You want to enjoy what you do in love in life?
2: I just have one more question for you. Yeah, you're not gonna let Joe Santos beat you again, are you?
1: No, no chance. The, the, he beat me on on his surface on Churchill Downs where he has some ties to it. That will never happen again in New York. So, and they, that's his surface, Churchill. And I was bad that day. It happened. Some handicappers have bad days. I, I've had so many bad days, but Santos will not beat me. And I told him he could name my name or whatever if he beats me, but there's no chance he beats me in New York. None. Right. I'm probably a big-time favorite. In there. And then we'll do the rematch for round three, and I'll get him then.
2: the rubber match this this is like arturo gaddy and mickey ward
1: that's it yeah i know he had some people rooting for him you're you're gaddy
2: unfortunately you lost the first round
1: (laughs) (laughs) you want to hear a funny story i actually met gaddy too and he was a good dude in uh a hoboken new jersey
2: yeah i know i knew a couple people a friend of mine from upstate whose whose son was uh was was in the entourage used to hang out with him and a friend another friend of mine uh anthony Genosa. he's uh he used to hang with, with Gotti when Gotti would be partying. <laughs>
1: yeah, oh, yeah, he would party and hard in Hoboken, and then me and my friend were just standing there, and, we're like, he was there with girl and his girlfriends and stuff. It was just wild, too, that, you know, we, we were like, let me buy you a drink, whatever, and he's like, no, I'm buying you a drink. And then we just partied with him the whole night. Man, he could party. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that was that was uh, he was some he was some character.
1: Yeah, good fighter, man. Too sure that, was that's another sport. That's another sport that needs to pick up their game, just like horse racing. Yep,
2: they uh, they do a lot of ducking in boxing. Yeah, a lot of they ducking on just just like us, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> but I appreciate you you, you spending oh, some thanks, time with us today. And um, thanks
1: for having me on, man. You know, I always respect you, and you know, you got your opinion. You, you're B ball fan, like I I grew up on B ball. I'm a Hawks fan though. Dominique and Mookie Blaylock were my guys.
2: Listen, you got you haven't had a whole lot of success, but no, man, listen, be, being think, being a Knicks so. fan is like yeah. it's it's just like it's like a sentence, it's like you've been sentenced. <laughs> to be I Knicks you, fan. if
1: you ever come up to New York, my brother-in-law gets tickets. We, we, we'll be we'll be going and stuff, man. I be, I think the last Knicks game I was at was probably with uh, with this chick that we went to go see. Steve Nash on the Suns, I think it was, and that was like I hate going to Knicks games. I, I like basketball fans. Some people at the Knicks games are just there for the crowd. They're there for the, oh, I got Knicks tickets. I think we went on uh, MLK Day, and it was Steve Nash on the Suns. It was that was a great game, but it's it's going to be fun to see basketball back this year. I really can't wait. You know, I'm going to see what the Nets do. With. I'm looking forward to them. I got some Nets futures planned, so it, I'm it, happy. It's it's
2: it's insane. That the draft yeah. was a couple of weeks ago. I know the training then, camp started. That the games are going to be played in like a week or ten days. I mean, I they are already. It, it's just like nuts. It's like the. Yeah, it feels just, like it just COVID. ended.
1: I can't wait though. I would listen. I know that you, you're down on the Knicks, of course. So I'm. I mean, but I think they're they're doing it the right way. I mean, now finally. Gotta, yeah, finally. Finally. Yeah, and, and, and like, but we all know that's Dolan and whatever.
2: The only thing that scares me about the Knicks is, well, Dolan I hate. And if we do go to a game, you got to apologize in advance. I'm apologizing in advance. If I see Dolan, I'm I'm screaming, sell the team. And I'll probably get <laughs> the Oakley treatment. He'll probably boot me out. Charles Oakley's <laughs> like Oakley is actually a Facebook friend of mine. But yeah. um,
1: Those were the days, man. Oakley, Mason. Uh, I uh, never get – yeah, my, all my friends are probably Knicks fans, so. though. I never forget rooting for the Rockets that year when they played in the NBA <laughs> final. Just thanks, thanks, my thanks,
2: thanks, for crushing our, our our hopes. Just it's like yeah, the it, cigarette butt, it, just it. like you know, stomping on us and Hakim. <laughs> you know, they had to have Hakim, right? Couldn't he have, it. couldn't have sprained his ankle or something? Yeah,
1: Hakeem was the man back in the day. No, nah, no,
2: nah, they're doing it right. You know, they're 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 not doing well. Put it this way, they didn't do anything stupid. Which is yeah. a big move up for them. I mean, they yeah, didn't. a doubt. I mean, they didn't sign. They, you know, of course, probably the, the ten minutes from now we'll see. it you know, they traded. Uh, you know, for James traded,
1: Harden. Yeah, yeah. Or well, they did something stupid like uh, traded for. Uh, yeah, yeah. We traded like,
2: seventeen draft number, number one picks for, until two thousand forty <laughs> for James Harden. And
1: I mean, and, yeah, they just need to get a star to get there. But I mean, who who would want to go there now? Like, it's tough because if you don't have a, that marquee player, you're not going to get. That other marquee player to come play with him so but that, that that's another thing that the NBA is so it's so star driven. It's like I, I was actually impressed with what the Heat did last year because yeah they have Butler, but they also have young guys too. They built. They didn't really, you know. Spoelstra is
2: is a is a tremendous coach.
1: Yeah. Oh, Sports Yeah, but and you know, the, you know, the Godfather's there. You know, Pat Riley. Yes. Well, yeah. that right, yes. sounds good, Chuck. Thanks for having me on, brother.
2: Well, again, I appreciate it, and uh I'm going to be. Let me know so I can put it I'm out gonna, there. I'm going to my I'm gonna be watching. I'm going to be watching this 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 Joe Santos set challenge very closely. Oh yeah, and, yeah.
1: Uh, I'm going to wipe the floor with him. 100%.
2: I, I'm going to I'm going to talk to Shug this week, and I'm going to see yeah. if, he, if he's. Gonna, tell you tell know, him if we I'm can put him in. Get him in training.
1: I'm in Shug's corner. I, I Chad <laughs> made some comments to me before. Chad's a good dude. I mean, Chad has his ways, but. I'm in Chug's corner. I stand with Chug in that one. I hope Chug takes it to chat.
2: <laughs> All right, man. Sounds good. Thank you for having us on.
1: Thanks, brother. Have uh, a good
2: one. You got it. That was the world-famous Swift Hitter. His real name is Justin. But Mr. Hitter seems like a more apt uh, name for him. And I appreciate everyone listening tonight. Uh, it's turned into night. At least it seems like it's getting dark out. For tuning in today, listening, uh, I want to thank Skip Dickstein. Uh, as always, uh, interesting kind of point of view of, of, a, of a racing photographer who who literally gets a, a different view than than the rest of us do. For um, pers- uh, giving us some of his time and, and skipdicksteinphotography.com dot if if you want to check out his portfolio and, and maybe order a picture or two he's got a, a huge amount. He said he's putting a bunch of new ones on there. And I do want to thank uh, Justin for coming on and, and just kind of, uh, giving us the view of, of, a of a guy who's, uh, you know, he's a player. He, he bets, he bets anything that moves <laughs> and, uh, you know, we need more guys like that. We need to get more guys like that, not less guys like that. And, uh, seems like the it's getting tougher and tougher to, to find them so I do appreciate everyone listening uh, we'll be back next Monday uh, go, the the big, the big Monday show with Barry um, next Tuesday uh, we'll have another going in circles live I have a couple guests lined up already um, we'll make that uh, we'll, we'll make that announcement a little later this week so thank you for listening and uh, we will see you
1: next week. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman, Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for
0: questions, email Podcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles podcast.